Warning, this program typically features respectful, nuanced, and well-informed commentary, strong language, obscure pop culture references, and spurious allegations. We, we, we know of new methods of attack. The Trojan Horse, the fifth column. Greetings, and welcome back to another <laughs> exciting installment of the Fifth Column Podcast. This is your weekly rhetorical assault on the news cycle of the people that made it, and occasionally ourselves. I'm Camille Foster. I do various things at Freethink, and today we had, we had a delayed start because apparently there's this this really interesting, compelling, engrossing profile of, a, of one Nicole Hannah-Jones in Tablet Magazine. Um, actually, I guess it's out today, Thursday. Mm. Um, but yeah, I was reading that, so I wanted to finish before we started. Did you finish um, it? And by we, it's impossible I did. I did. Did yeah, you we really talk about that? And we'll, we'll have other things to talk about too. Uh, Michael Moynihan is here, mm. Vice News. Um, Matt Welch is yeah. here, Reason Magazine. And they're drinking oh, some things over there. I've drunk some things that over is here. The it's the strongest uh, drink ever it's good made. Sorry, good to be with you, Sorry, good guys, to be with good you good too. But that? I think I might pass out. This is Reposada Reserva <laughs> Tequila in a in a like a one gallon drum. This is yeah. from a beloved listener whose name I've Kazool. don't have in front of me. Kazool. Um incredible. Kazool. Uh, Nancy was a bit uh, generous in the pour there. Jesus Christ. Um, okay, so we got we got to find that note so we can thank this listener properly yeah. for sending from us probably seven years ago. Killing Michael. Thank you very much. I mean. And uh, um, it's just gonna it's just gonna make it easier when when um at the somewhere in this broadcast where you guys are talking and I'm on my laptop I'm starting my OnlyFans account to compete with the lady <laughs> we talked about last time. I did we a friend well, of this mine is the thing yeah yeah okay so I'll, this is ahead. it this is it it's gonna be exactly what you said friend of mine uh-huh. listens to the podcast and listens to the yeah. the uh, is very generous and subscribes was she sent the, and she's like did you guys start this and sent the link to the <laughs> and i was like i don't know i think camille doesn't know either we started the yeah. rachel dolezal um feeding yeah. frenzy did and we? i actually feel a little bad about this so if, if you're not subscribed first of all it's it's wonderful to have you all with us but if you're not subscribed to the fifth column you're gonna say uh, rachel subscriber only fans. members only <laughs> podcast like that is a real problem because yeah. this past week we we did a number of things yeah. and we break all sorts of new grounds and sure. we start trends we start waves uh, and we uh, had a conversation we talked about the woman king woman king this breakthrough film we gave yeah. a, a, a stellar review of that yeah. film um and three we'll talk about up. that maybe at some other point i don't yeah. know if we want to talk about it again because that'd be three times in a row but we also talked about rachel dolezal mm-hmm. who, who many of you know um, and the fact that she was an entrepreneur who had yes. started her own business on on OnlyFans yeah. and was selling things on OnlyFans. And I didn't know what she was selling. I just I kind of knew that that was a thing. <laughs> sticks. And we talked just fucking, about this. You know, crochet. Crochet. Yeah. 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 yeah, you exactly. know, who knew? Because she was painting at one point. She'd done a number of things. And I just mentioned it um, on our on our members only. And lo and behold, our podcast members only episode drops and suddenly, suddenly, suddenly Rachel Dolezal is trending and photos from her members only site are proliferating the internet. Now, granted, I want to say I do Copyright. not endorse yes. undermining this woman's business. No. I, I asked you people to support Hmm. young female black entrepreneurs <laughs> to support black owned business to buy black yeah. i said all those things yeah. in support of miss dalzal because mm-hmm. i want to help a sister out you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. hold her down mm-hmm. um, and Not unfortunately some some scoundrel heard us talking about this but i have to presume we started this mm-hmm. and it, it immediately started trending on twitter and i think a lot of people were impressed 
by what Miss Dalzal was working with. That's that was the general you consensus just sent I think a from picture, a lot of the tweets. Which is fine because yeah. you didn't well, send it. Don't, don't, don't say that. Yeah, you didn't I, send it. Well, I, you I, sent it to me. You mean you obtained a picture? Obtained is what you're saying. Yeah, well, you obtained, you obtained the first. a picture. <laughs> I didn't obtain don't say it. I sent it. I'm not going around <laughs> trying to obtain Dalzal shit. You obtained a picture and then I obtained it. You uh, obtained it. It was a picture of her right buttock with a with a tattoo. With two yeah. links of a chain, mm-hmm. and it yes. says "justice" in the middle of it. Right? <laughs> the last it. time, <laughs> the last time a woman had that on her ass, it was Halle Berry <laughs> when she was married to David Justice, Cleveland Indian. Oh, that's good. Right? That's a good one. Right? Oh, that's deep. That was a deep cut there. Pay the big one bucks. that is not. It, yeah. I don't, that is an unconfirmed, unconfirmed rumor, rumor started by Michael Moynihan yeah. that that Halle Berry has such a tattoo. Don't, but if she did, it's gone now. Rachel Dolezal actually does, in fact, have such a tattoo on her body, which is Mm. kind of amazing. I mean, Rachel Dolezal, can we just say again, Rachel Dolezal is a real one. She does not quit. I hope hope this hasn't undermined her business. I'm sure this has in some way helped her. Um, And I just I'm just going to believe that she could have. That's true left she could have i guess slunk is that the past participle there she could have slunk away slunk or slinked it's never, slinked, never, maybe she could never have, she's not very slinky though she could have slunk she seems like more she's of someone slinky than you might think yeah i'm just she, saying well maybe <laughs> how, would you, how would you know <laughs> yeah i don't know i, don't, I didn't say it well, you know what how Stop much is trying to indict me sir <laughs> how much is it i don't know i don't really know. i'm not a subscriber well, i don't know you should give money to the fifth column first and then yeah, second that's true to Rachel yeah, Dolezal, to, and then we third, blocksubstack.com. <laughs> yeah. And then, we then like go sign up for there. Rachel yeah. Dolezal's OnlyFans, yeah. and then sign up for Block and Report It. Yeah, that's somewhere but, along the way. You got to get the order right there, yeah. Yeah, that's Rachel's right. first. But uh, yeah, so that, that uh, one- No, Rachel's to... second. <laughs> Moynihan. ahead. Well, first after us. Together. Yeah. yeah. Oh, by the way, can I say one thing before I forget? Because I'll, I'll forget. Sure. I recorded a 30-second intro to our last um, subscriber-only podcast. And a 30-second yeah, intro, and um, mm-hmm. then a little text at the top, because my my lovely, dear uh, daughter, who's the greatest person on earth and the funniest girl ever, is 11 years old, and she was having a fundraiser. Um, all the kids in the team are gymnastics team, which you can read about in New York Magazine, Gotham Gymnastics, one of the best in the country. And she, um, they had a fundraiser for Sloan Kettering. They do every year. I think there was a kid at one point that had cancer, but it's a pediatric cancer thing. And I just asked you guys, just throw in a couple bucks, because she's got a $250 goal. Go, I mean, like, literally, they're just kids. There's 250 bucks, they raise it and everything. And uh, you guys really came through. And um, I did say in the text accompanying that her and I would make an insult video in a kind of Don Ripple style for whoever is the highest bidder. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we do have a winner in that so far, but you guys raised, I think, over four grand uh, for, oh, for Sloan Kettering. And that, by the way, goes directly to Sloan Kettering. It's like processed on their website. It goes to the hospital. And um, she was so happy, so happy. She was like, you know, like I put it up there. It's at zero of $250. Like I hadn't even put my money in yet. And she was like kind of bummed because it was, I think it's ending on today, I guess it would be Thursday. And uh, and you guys just came through and it was so amazing and she was so happy. So she thanks everybody from the fifth column. And I think we're going to do a, a bunch of videos for, for people uh, insulting them. She's mostly happy for the prospects of insulting people. Oh, and by the way, there was a famous uh, religious leader that I didn't know subscribed to our, our uh, podcast. I'm sorry, what? Yes. Yes. Uh, which I was very happy about who gave. Is who it gave okay somebody. to out this person? I don't think so. Because yeah, I don't know if his not. congregants would uh... famous <laughs> yes. religious leader. Famous as they go. I mean, it's not yeah. it's not Jesse. 
I mean, Jesse's <laughs> Jesse doesn't know what day it is right now. I mean, he would probably Does he be work in the Vatican. That uh, is the question. I, he might. Uh, oh boy, might not even be of that persuasion, Camille. But uh, mm, but yeah. uh, he's mm. somebody that I knew the name, and she was like, "Who is this person?" She's reading the names off in the car to me today, and I said, "Are yeah. you kidding me? That guy? That guy's great!" And so um, that's great. I'm happy that he's uh, subscribing. But thank you guys, I really appreciate it. And you made a little girl super duper happy, and she walked into gym today with a little spring in her step because she met her goal and then some because of you guys. So it's very very cool wow. of you. So thanks so wow. much. And in the future, don't give money to charities. Give it to us and subscribe. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So. We'll make the decisions about who really needs that money yeah. and when I really just need another yes. pair of sneakers or something. Yeah, exactly. um, <laughs> uh, but there's there's yeah. also you know plenty of other stuff going on. Um, there is uh, a new prime minister in town in Italy, and apparently most of Twitter um, are experts experts in fascism and experts and in Italian, Italian politics. politics yeah. So we, we should maybe talk about that for a little bit. Um, there are all sorts of weird energy issues that have been playing out uh, in, in will we'll be playing out in Europe in a pipeline that has apparently been damaged. And Tucker Carlson is speculating about whether or not the United States is involved in that. Shocker. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Shocker. You know, I wouldn't have predicted that one. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Maggie Haberman has a new book that mm -hmm. is making some waves and some people are talking about that confidence man I believe is the title. They're of that also book. very mad about it too. Yeah. A lot of people are mad about it. Someone suggested she maybe should go to prison, um, for having published this book because there are, are crimes committed by Donald Trump and there's she, evidence she of those crimes in this them. book and yeah. Yeah. she withheld yeah. it. Everybody knows exactly just... what her reporting process is. Oh. Thanks guys. <laughs> um, yeah. And, uh, oh, and you know, we should, we should give, are, uh, you know, we're not allowed to, you can't say thoughts and prayers. Even if you're not a religious person, I am not a religious person. I would not say that, but you can't say that anymore. Remember? It happened say whatever after, I like, fucking a, want to. I don't care. Well, all right. Relax. Calm down. <laughs> I'm a little angry there. But you do that, uh, especially after a school shooting and they get, they get all angry. But, so we can't give thoughts and prayers to the people of Florida. We have many listeners in Florida. And Cuba. Let's and not forget. Cuba, they already got Cuba um, is, has been getting hammered since 1959. And this is just, I mean, there's no power. And I think the entire country of Cuba which is a oh, power wow. grid that is was made by communists. So you probably yeah, understand why that's aluminum happening. Aluminum foil and But yeah, we should, we should maybe uh, talk about that at a little point too, as, as uh, we're recording Did this. You, I mean, Florida's getting getting uh, really, really hammered. I, I do want to extend uh, thoughts and prayers. And also, um, you know, I, I always feel like uh, natural disasters in America that we don't do enough victim blaming. Yeah. Um, that, it's always good to do that. <laughs> um, especially in the middle of it, like when yeah, people are really sure. suffering. Um, no, I'm from Southern California, so like we have all of the national natural disasters possible, uh, with the possible exception of uh, hurricanes. Uh, but even then, Mike Davis wrote a book called The Ecology of Fear, where you know it's like oh, the God. water spouts are coming for you. It's Mike um, Davis, good lord! But uh, uh, Southern California, we have the uh, fires and earthquakes and mudslides and and uh, just general pestilence. Um, and uh, and I always feel like we were not blamed enough for living there. Um, and same thing with people who live in Tornado Alley. But uh, yeah, um, our thoughts and prayers uh, for our, our friends down there. We have a special connection to the state of Florida. 
Um, not just and our friends in Puerto Rico too, who have had been going through. Oh my incredible god! Di- did you see time. that they gave a waiver? Like finally, at the last minute, there's like a, yes. a gigantic tanker full of much needed oil. Yes, right off the coast of Puerto Rico from America, which it's part of. That's the same country. Yeah. Um. And uh. And they they were just sitting there because the fucking Jones Act, Jones Act, yeah. piece of of garbage protectionism from more <laughs> from than hundred years ago or something, yeah. nineteen oh five, something. Um, like which that, says yeah. that you can't. Uh, have a ship go between two American ports unless it's flagged as American, has an American crew and was built in America. So there's literally like 73 yeah. boats in the it world. It is playing proud to be American <laughs> yeah. as it goes at full blast. <laughs> or at least I know that I'm free. Uh, and they gave a one-time like waiver to this one boat in this one case. Like motherfuckers, if yeah. you like, tell yeah. me that anybody's lives matter. Meanwhile, no one has power. They're underwater in Puerto Rico, mm-hmm. which is poor anyways, and it's fucked up because of all of this. And we can't waive uh, a stupid fucking piece of protectionism dating back to the fucking Roosevelt yeah. regime, the yeah. regime or, or presidency. Fuck, man. <laughs> regime. Okay. I'm, I've been <laughs> reading too many libertarians um, yeah. about the fucking capital R regime. Anyways, um, yeah, uh, hearts out to our, so our fr- We can go there. back. Where do we start, though? Should we start in Europe? We because should that's... start with the goddamn Giorgio Moroder is the new um, <laughs> prime minister of <laughs> Italia, and yeah. people are losing yeah. their minds, uh, and I love I it. I produced the Sparks record. Wait, and I, I feel I like go. I should do all the explaining. I've been to Italy once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just feel like I have a lot of authority to opine on this. Did you go to the fascist part? More authority than most of the people who are talking about this shit on Twitter who are insisting, assuring me that this woman is a fascist, neo-Nazi, right-wing extremist Mm -hmm. is the phrase that I continue to see. But I'm I'm kidding, Matt. Please go ahead. No, no, actually, really, you go ahead because you probably know (laughs) know more than I do. Like At some point, you make a rational... Um, like ignorance response to places yes. like Italy that no, have... No, it's called the Italy choice. It's the Italy choice. Like, <laughs> they change governments every yeah. fucking two years. Yeah. I'm not going to keep track. You ask somebody in the street in Italy, who's the prime minister? Like, I don't know. Yesterday, I don't know. he's a... <laughs> now is everybody fall asleep. I don't know. It's... There is, you asked me on... That's like half Latka. I don't know what it half is. Half fucking... Know it is. Yeah, Roberto are, Benigni. I think that that's how Italians sound these days because there's so many immigrants according to Giorgio... <laughs> Uh, Giorgio Moroder. Uh, <laughs> I was literally saying Giorgio Moroder. Off to good start. Um, but uh, no, it is, you asked me, uh, I think on text, and I I think it was off the top of my head, I didn't check, but it is somewhere between 60 and 75, 65 and 75 60, governments. 69. 69, 69 governments. governments since, in 77 years. Yes. And in, in, yeah, in, <laughs> in that was like, and by the way, the Andreotti government and things like they came back like twice. Like Aldora Moro came back twice, and then he was like murdered by uh, left wing uh, terrorists. The Red Brigades, you know, dumped him, shot him, and dumped him in a trunk. He must have been racist. Yeah, probably. Uh, we'll get to that too. Um, I mean, their Italians are maybe a little touchy about this stuff, but um, yeah, no, it's it's really fascinating because everybody, no one had heard of her. Um, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, four weeks ago. I mean, maybe I would say four days ago. And yeah, everyone is opining about, oh my God, I can't believe what's happening in Italy. It's another rightward turn. And it's like, you know, they often have in Italy these, it's too complicated and boring to even get into, but just to say they have a lot of like opposition coalitions because it's so fractured and there's so many parties. And this is just a time where, where, you know, the Northern League, or this now the League, um, uh, and um, uh, Forza Italia, which is Berlusconi's party, 
and you know now the 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 brothers uh, have all come together and are forming a government. But the fascism thing is is pretty ridiculous because there are a lot of Italians who get mad about this who are on the other side of this. They do not like the current or the soon-to-be coalition government. And they've been saying, like, no, nah, you look online, you'll find a lot of it. They're like, no, 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 that's not, she's not neo-Nazi kind of this. I mean, fascism, by the way, is really funny because we talk about it constantly in American politics. I thought it had gone away. I thought it would maybe take a little mm -hmm. bit of a break after Bush and after Naomi Wolf's book. and Take one of those Joe Biden naps while you're talking. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just in the middle of it, we're like, hey, man, fascism, what? Um, the Braves. They beat the Braves. Come on. Come on. Aaron Judge. He's not, he's not a fascist. Come on. So this, the, I thought it would take a break, but it's, it's now, of course, everywhere you go. And I'm going to try to do a podcast about this recently for subscribers with one person who knows a lot about this um, and is an academic who I'm in a communication with. But um, the one thing that they never mean, and of course, I've said this before, is that when you say fascism, you're trying to invoke Hitler. You're never trying to invoke Mussolini because Mussolini is a very different type of fascism. Not good stuff, bad stuff. Very, very bad stuff. The March on Rome was the beginning of Italy's descent into hell, into you know the Mussolini government finally being basically overthrown, overthrown in 43, and they have a couple more years or a year and a half then until the end of the war. But you know Mussolini was a leftist. He was he used to edit the newspaper Avanti, the socialist newspaper. He was a socialist, became a fascist, a corporatist. And also very, admired by not a small number of American left of center people. I, yes. I mean, like FDR's people like uh, Rex Tugwell. If you go back and look for Rexford mm. Tugwell, people within the- Great name. Uh, yes, fantastic. Totally very, made very fascist name. <laughs> Kojo Namdi's yeah, original yeah, very, name. He's the Kojo Namdi of the FDR administration. <laughs> or, I'm sorry, the FDR regime, um, as you would call it. But yeah, so like that, it was- it, admired and blah, blah, blah. So this is the, the, the line you keep seeing is that this is the most far right, ultra right government since Mussolini. And the reason for invoking that is one of fear. I am not a fan of this woman. Uh, Frau Maloney, um, I say Frau just because, you know, she's a Nazi. So you say Frau. It's blonde a little bit. <laughs> blonde. And she makes jokes on TikTok about boobs. You see that thing? No. Uh, there's a TikTok of her like holding two melons in front of her. And she, and I don't know, there's no translation on this big Italian. She's like, and it's like something about her boobs. <laughs> and I was like, I cannot believe the Prime Minister make a boob a joke. So, <laughs> so Mario or Luigi or whatever. Um, so with this idea, like you see, there's a couple of speeches of hers that are translated. You can, you can hear them, you can listen to them, in which she sounds like a, a national conservative, national populist. That's what she is. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing kind of out of the ordinary. People are like, I cannot believe what she thinks about gay rights. Yeah, I think it's, it's terrible. And I think she's wrong about it. But she's a Catholic. And she's very Catholic. And these are not things that are surprising to people and who these, understand what very Catholic people believe. About and these, these speeches are hmm. are basically like, you know, it's like national conservatives here or uh, Tucker Carlson here, except a lot faster. She talks yeah, way yeah, too fast. Very fast. Um, like these, she's from the, Rome. These yeah. foreigners, they just like always with a fast. Uh, but like saying, you know, they are are telling us that we can't be proud of our own families and tradition yeah. and religions yeah. and blah, blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. That's, that's how yeah. it is. It's not like, hey, I saw a gay on the street and we've yeah. got to do something about that. Yeah. I mean, she, I don't think that there's the will to do that in Italy. So, I mean, you don't you have to you have to think about what she can actually accomplish. If you think she's going to roll back the tide of gay rights in Italy, I think you're wrong. But um, the thing that people often say, and you see this a lot about Ukraine, I saw it today, and it absolutely, you know, 
mind-blowingly stupid interview of somebody that we've mentioned on the show uh, talking about Ukraine, who appears to know nothing about Ukraine and kind of caught up in the last six months of reading banana stuff on Lou Rockwell or something. But people in that situation always say, well, you have to, what is the root cause? Why did Osama bin Laden want to blow up the World Trade Center? Why did... The people who say that tend to be from the kind of goofy libertarian left, the root causes people, and the kind of chomps get right. And I know a lot of people listen to the show believe that sort of thing too. If you want to do that, when you look at Italy and you look at the recent election in Sweden, which is now going to be a coalition government, you know, in the Sweden Democrats, which have been kept out of government. Everyone said, we're not going to touch them. We're not going to play ball with them. Now they are. Um, there's not a huge change. They're the second biggest party in the country. Uh, why does that happen? Let's look at the root causes of this. And everyone thought, particularly the people that are crowing about this in mainstream media, everyone thought that you could get away with 2015 and the migrant crisis, which came through mostly Italy and Greece, and have no repercussions. And that's just not true. It's just not going. It's not. It'll never be true, because you have people that are that that are poor, that are indigent, that are looking for jobs, competition for low wage jobs. There's you know crime issues that come with that. It's just natural. And it's also kind of, like dead people on the beach. Like dead it's, people it's on the beach. Traumatic. And you know it's like the money government. Like these people. Like she said the other day, you know ours is the most you know big hearted of this because we don't want to see people drowning in the Mediterranean. We don't want to see people like floating up the Adriatic and, you know, like half the family's gone and the rest of it, which, you know, you can believe that or not. I think that's probably not her biggest concern. But at the same time is that these things are not consequence free. You don't. And, and again, it has nothing to do with what you think about immigration. It's just those massive shifts those enormous population additions, particularly in Sweden, then you have, you know, a million plus people out of nine, 10 million. Now it's about 10 million who are foreign born. Now, granted, those numbers are swollen by people who were born in Finland, who are Finland's fans, who are Swedish Finns. But there's still a lot of people. There's a lot of people in these like no-go areas, et cetera. And that say, oh, that there was a while where people in the goofy kind of like anti, what would they call them? Not the anti-jihad, what would they call them? anti Dimmy or something like that. Oh, God, yeah. A long time ago. Those goofballs, and there's a lot of goofballs, would say, oh, there's these no-go areas. And they would be like, dude, come on. And that's not totally wrong. I mean, there were places that when I went in Sweden with a film crew that we were told by local people, by people in positions of authority, do not go in there with a the camera. You're not going to come out. Or you're going to get beaten up because they don't want to be filmed. They don't want you. They'll take your camera, et cetera. Those areas exist. They don't exist in New York City. <laughs> they do exist there. I'm not saying it's worse there, but I'm just saying that there is a very, very particular kind of vibe in certain neighborhoods and places like Sweden. And is experienced more as trauma by nation states that have a dominant the, ethnicity and religion. Have a dominant, you know, homogenous ethnicity and have not had that sort of thing. Sweden has prided itself on a big welfare state and they would laugh not laugh, but they would mock every time there was some sort of shooting. We don't have that kind of thing in, in Sweden. Now, they don't compare to what we have, but their shootings have like tripled in the past number of years. They have, you know, gun crime all the time now. And that really resonates with people. And in Italy, that, you know, the EU stuff is like, don't. So when the EU comes in right afterwards and says, you better be good or we're going to do something, which is what they've done in the past. You know, they just Hungary, Poland, right. et cetera. And it's like, no, 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 no. You want fewer Brexits? You want fewer parties that 
you know, appeal to people's anti-Brussels instinct. Don't try to overturn Democrats democratic decisions. Or just punish people for them, yeah. Yeah, punish people for them. Decide why they happen. Figure out why they happen and see what you can do as a centralized authority in Brussels, if anything, to try to alleviate that. That's not what they're concerned about. So when everyone talks fascism, 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 fascism is something that holds power by violence. It doesn't necessarily take power by violence, but it holds power by violence. That's what, you know, Mussolini, I mean, people would fall out of windows. This is a very famous case, by the way, if somebody just, you know, dissident fell out of a window or an opposition person, you know, Hitler came into power in 33 by legal means. They were not necessarily democratic means, they were legal means, a lot of backdoor negotiations, but remained in power through fear. The same thing in Spain, the same thing even in Portugal with Salazar. I mean, there's a lot of different types of these things. I don't think that's going to happen in Italy. These are, these are fundamental things. Like if she loses an election, if Salvini loses, you know, like Salvini, who I think is going for interior minister, he was the one that was the big dog, you know, two, three years ago, but still influential. But the league is now, you know, what, seven, eight, nine percent, something like that. But the thing about this is, is these people will give up power. And that's an, a, an important component of saying somebody's fascist. So when you say Donald Trump is a fascist, the thing that makes that sort of slightly convincing, I don't think it is convincing at all in any way. But the slightly, so I wouldn't say anyway, just the slight way is that he didn't want to give up power. And he would have found a way. And he would have found a way. If there was a way to not to, he would have done it. He would have found a way. But he was not obviously in a position or somebody who was going to you know, go to the generals, who he hated, obviously, and say, you got to go to the streets. There's enough common sense. Common sense is probably the wrong word. There's enough sense that that's not going to actually be a positive result. So I don't believe that those words are worth very much these days. And does she have you know, conservative views? For sure. The ultra, the prefix stuff, this sort of orgy of prefixes, mega, ultra, super, you know, hard. They don't, they go in one direction, right? <laughs> Always in one direction. Always in one direction. So, you know, are they? She's very conservative, for sure. The one it thing- Wouldn't have been my choice, but, uh, you know. My expertise on her is uh, is uh, encased in watching that three-minute video, which I think was taken down for a while. And then oh, actually, was it? actually it was reinstated by Robbie Suave today why was it taken well, down yeah robbie robbie asked about it and they reinstated it after he after they looked exactly into it. he's yeah. an american hero yeah. Wait, an international why did they take it down? <laughs> explain the video by the way because i sent the, it to both you guys i think so there's a video i think it's the same one i hope yeah. i'm not conflating the two where she's just speaking and it's like three years ago and she's speaking very fiery fiery at a at a conference and just ta again talking way too fast um, and uh, and she's just giving a fiery speech. It's a populist. Italian. Just thinking like a very fast Chico Marx. That's what I think of it. I was like, yeah, you're not gonna do it. So good. It's it's crazy. Yeah. The only uh, I disagree with it on many levels, uh, as one could imagine. The only parts that actually made my like eyebrows go hmm. Uh, is whenever she would start talking about like international, international capital. Yeah, in, like, um, like international bankers. They want to make yeah. us slaves to international capital. It's like, Nonsense. who yeah. wants to make you slaves? Yeah, the Rothschilds. Yeah. Uh, so it sounded <laughs> a little bit- fascist after all. It sounded screwy in those parts, <laughs> but also it sounded like a speech that you should be able to watch on YouTube, right? Like it's a political person giving a speech. I mean, this is the thing too. When we talk about, and we've talked about the show a lot, like Bannon- you know, national conservatives, uh, what's his name, Hazoni and these uh, these guys, 
that try to, and you know, guys um, uh, like uh, our friend Saurabh, who um, decided that the two people that can save America are Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders, and Bernie yeah, Sanders, a man who used to be a neoconservative, um, saying let's invade Iran and, and overthrow the mullahs, uh, now takes a slightly different view. But these things shouldn't really surprise us because I've talked about this a lot in the past, I've written about this too, is that when you talk about the right in Europe, it's a very, very different animal, particularly because- or it was, but it, it's, it's starting it was. to change. Well, yeah, yeah. That's, it, it was, and this is why American conservatism is, is, is moving closer to European conservatism. There was one or two parties, I would say there are two parties, in the kind of quote-unquote far right, because um, some of them are far right, some of them aren't, uh, that had the same kind of economic policy of AEI, or at that point, heritage, which has changed. But, you know, mainstream conservative outlets that have a similar, similar um, economic philosophy, and that would have been Jurt Wilders Party, the Freedom Party in, in Netherlands, and uh, Fremskrittspartiet in Norway, the Progress Party. They were like free market people. They had like Israel flags. They were like very American conservative in that way. They're kind of neocons. And the rest of them are like Maloney. They're, this is the thing about international finance capital. It is, you know, so, socialism for our people. It's Le Pen. It's Not, Le, yes, exactly. Le Pen was the first real, I think, uh, long-term successful uh, uh, example of this by successful, I mean, not really successful at yeah. all. Just like polling well enough. A lot of runoff elections. <laughs> a lot of runoffs that yeah. they lose by like 35 percentage points. Um, but uh, when Trump came up, and we talked about this in the show because we've been around long enough. Um, when Trump came up, it's like people are like, wow, where did he come from? I've never seen anything like yeah. this. Like, yeah. well, okay, there's, but there's also like France. Um, yeah. that, well, people were so shocked when I went to Steve Bannon's um, a castle in Italy. Do you remember when he had that? Does anyone remember this? I do, yeah. So it was he like got, a training ground it was, for the- it was, it, was, it was supposed to be, right? Yeah. And so it, they got it for a song from the Italian government. The Italian government subsequently took it away from them. And that song was Una Paloma Blanca. Yeah. This was a, it was a Giorgio Amoroto song, and uh, <laughs> a classic track. But I went there, and it was in- Calapardo, Italy, I think, middle of nowhere, beautiful place. And they, they'd done a lot of rehab on it and stuff. And there was a guy that was one of uh, Bannon's like right-hand men. Did I ever tell you the story about the, the about the filming with him? When he called the day before and he was like, he's British. And he's like, yeah, I can't, I can't, I can't film tomorrow. And I was we're like, we're fucking here. We've been driving all night. We were in Turin. We're doing, and he's like, yeah, but I can't, I can't. I've got, I've hurt myself. And we're like, what? He's like, I've got, I've got, I've got a black eye. I've, I've actually run into something in the night. I can't see. And this is like a dark, this is like literally lit by candles. It's like an actual, like 15th century castle. All these little, it's the most amazing place I've ever been. Incredibly given. Like, Barry Linden in it, the corner. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's very Barry Linden. It's amazing. And we go in there and we're going to shoot. And I walk up and he's a very nice guy. And he comes up to shake hands and he has... He looks like Jerry Cooney found him in the middle of the night and just started punching him in his bed. Enormous shiner. And I was just like, yeah, it's going to be really weird. We're going to shoot this. And you look like, you know, nervously talking about Steve Bannon with a huge black eye. And so because it was so dark, this is when you have amazing people. And I've had so, I've worked with so many amazing people and amazing camera guys, especially. I like very rarely work with a bad one, but there's a couple of really great guys that I was with. And they shot this guy because it's in this 
amazing castle. They shot him kind of in shadow. Oh yeah, of course. So you they can't did. really see. There's a couple of points it's where you flickering. Can, yeah, there's a couple of points where you can see it. I did that. You can find it. It was for HBO. There's a couple of points you can see his huge shiner, enormous fucking black eye on his face. But but Bannon is there doing this stuff. In in the people in Europe are like Bannon's like coming to train people. It's like no, no, they were training him. Yes, exactly. They, he he went there to see how. Europeans did pop, populist conservatism, which was essentially anti-capitalist in so many ways. So, and mm-hmm. which excites learning. him, like, no, and that's, he met yeah. Maloney at, at at one of their uh, fucking Frodo camps <laughs> back in the day. Read that piece in the New York Times about how they all love um, they all love Tolkien. All Tolkien, yeah, it's yeah. weird, man. Fucking Frodo, whatever. Frodo's ruling Italy. I think, um, uh, or I wonder out loud uh, whether that 2014-15 immigration, migration um, thing, um, if anyone's going to look back on that and and, and actually reflect. No. Like the immigration is in every case going to be Mm -hmm. a weird topic for a country to grapple with because it deals with your basic identity, your sense of sanctity. Jonathan Hyde has done great work on this. Uh, about people, um, different political tribes and the and the values that they hold dear. It's a very difficult and fraught topic um, for every country, including ours, but especially ones not like ours who are not as based on immigration and not as based on a national idea, but instead their nation is the idea. Um, so well, if you can find a opposition party or not an opposition party, a party on the opposite side of a right or if you want to call them far right, fine, that didn't take at least 50 percent of the quote unquote far rights uh, immigration platform is almost true in every country. They, they they drifted further and further towards that. Even in Sweden, the Social Democrats, you know, became much, much closer to a restrictionist message on immigration. And, you know, I mean, people talk about Milton Friedman's comment about immigration that, you know, and, and, and you know, it's they bastardize it in a lot of ways. But the let's just get to the kind of general idea of it's, you know, easy and good to have open borders, uh, provided you don't have an incredibly uh, generous wealth fair state. I'm doing this not a great bit of justice. Which in the, which in the broader s- paragraph yes. was a defense of illegal immigration. Yes, was a defense of illegal immigration. Yeah. But you know, the, the thing about this is that that, you know, I've said this before and I, I will keep on saying it because it, it's so consistent. Go to any of these countries. I was in Austria, went over to Hungary for this, went to Italy for it up in the border of Italy, Italy and Slovakia. Um, Slovenia. Slovenia, sorry, Slovenia. And, um, talk to people everywhere and everyone said the same thing and they just, they don't want to be because the media climate is very similar is that you don't want to be called a racist or a far right person and they always talk about this um about it via public health uh i mean public health care they say like ah oh, the lines are so long at the hospital now <laughs> the lines are so long to get a doctor i'm like you're talking about immigration they're like yeah of course and that's what they're like uh, everything's being taxed they're being heavily taxed i mean they're heavily taxed in the literal way but it's like heavily taxed system that we can't actually access anymore because of immigrants. Whether or not that's true doesn't really make a difference because in a, in a broad political way, as you said, if people don't address this, that, that what happened in 2015 and in subsequent times, you know, Europe has been changed forever by that. Not even and, demographically. And, it's been changed forever politically. And the politically mm-hmm. part of it is very much that these decisions were made at a level beyond our nation state. Yeah. And that's rough. If you don't have democratic legitimacy of a decision, then 
You can conspiracy theorize of the Wahoo or and or you can basically just say, I didn't have a say in this. When, I'm fucking yeah. bummed. I didn't have a say in this thing that was big. And Victor Orban, who I genuinely despise, I think he's, he's a malign influence in the world and I've written plenty on it and it's it's available in the public record. Um, and um, when he was asserting Hungary's kind of right to say no to these people, he was being more democratically responsive. This guy who's been accused of being a fascist yeah. on every single day um, and who I, again, dislike, um, he was being more democratically responsive than almost any other leader of any other European country. And people have to wrap their minds around that, especially those who are pro-immigration like I am generally uh, and in uh, in a United States context. Um, but like there's seems to be an inability still after Brexit, after all these kind of convulsions, it's easier to say, oh, my God, fascists, yeah. than to say, oh, my God, maybe the way that we structure our political decisions is making people feel accurately that they don't have a say in their own fucking country. I want, I'll give a final thing. We should move on to other things. But I, I will say two things. One is, you know, obviously Brexit came around this time, you know, in 2016. And I think the Remainers, and you know, I'm I'm kind of instinctually a Remainer. I'm not a, 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 a um, Brexiteer in any way, but you know, I'm not British, so it doesn't really matter. But uh, one of the things that I thought Remainers did poorly was address the issue that nobody, and there were you know these buses going around about healthcare costs, and you know NHS going insolvent, and the rest of it, and how much it would cost. Nobody on the Remain side, I think, did a very, very good job of addressing the immigration issue. And that was a lot of people's idea about voting for Brexit. It was a huge immigration vote. And they shied away from that. It's a very tough thing for, for them to argue. But I think that what you see when you say that Hungary was democratically responsive to this stuff, and, and Sweden the same way when you see social democrats moving more towards this restrictionist idea, is that if you had one person, one person, from Guatemala come and, you know, blow up a, you know, a Christmas market or something. I'm not saying this is indicative of anything. I'm not saying this is a trend. I'm not even saying this is a problem. I'm just saying if you had one, I'm just talking about the way people react to things. You had somebody who was um, waiting for their asylum claim in Sweden, you know, drive over in a pedestrian zone and a number of people in a shopping, I think it was from Uzbekistan or something and killed a bunch of people. This happened quite a bit. Um, you know, people that were recent migrants that got into lots of trouble, and that's all that it, it, you can't call these people racist. They were just literally reacting to like, I don't want any more of that. We didn't have that before. Can we not have it now? It's that's the end of it. That's the beginning and the end of the political thought. It's nothing more than that. And you talk to people, and they're mystified by the idea that like they would be like, I don't hate anyone. I just don't. That that person shouldn't have been here, and if they weren't here, that wouldn't have happened. And you can say that's not a very nuanced position, but that's just a very real human position. And that was the thing that people never really grappled with. And then you're seeing the results of this. And you can say far right, fascist, whatever. It's like, if you guys had dealt with this in a different way, you probably wouldn't have the situation. So anyway, Wait, let's uh, move before we the... Before we move away from this, because sure. obviously we've talked about a bunch of stuff, and I, by we, I, I mostly mean you guys. Um, yeah. the, uh, the thing that keeps the coming Europeans. up- <laughs> exactly. The obvious experts. It's the only credential you need to talk yeah. about this. Yeah, what, I keep seeing in the paper, what I keep seeing almost everywhere, well, that, that's what's next, is references to ethno-nationalism um, and extremism 
And while you've qualified yeah. some of those concerns, I am interested to know what you guys are most concerned about with respect to these governments. I mean, Matt, we were just talking about Hungary, and we have seen some meaningful kind of illiberal strides taken in that country. And I think it is a very interesting point that there is this contrast with the way that the EU makes decisions, the fact that these have profound implications for the various EU member states that the, that the citizenry does not get to weigh in on. It's absolutely true. But citizens are also voting for seemingly quite illiberal things or governments that are doing quite illiberal things. Um, is there an expectation that we'll see more of that sort of thing in Italy now? And is it appropriate for folks like the Washington Post to editorial board to look at this and say, well, we're seeing ex quote unquote extremists make strides in France, Hungary, Sweden and Italy. And to say this is all the same thing. It's 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 a it's all part and parcel of a dangerous right-wing trend in Europe. I will uh, agree with everything they just said, except the word dangerous. Uh, and maybe because I am, uh, you know, have my head in the sand, um, or maybe I'm not as scared about how things work. I mean, I remember when people thought that the dissolution of Czechoslovakia was going to be like as destabilizing as the dis dissolution of Yugoslavia. And I'm like, ah, it's, no, it's not. And it wasn't. Um, uh, so people have different ideas about things. Um, I think Hungary, to answer a, a part of your, the beginning of your question, one fascinating tidbit, and I'm sure I, I'm confident in predicting this will be true because of the structure of government and money flows that people almost never look at by people are just like regular people voting, going about their lives. They don't really look at this stuff. Um, the way that the EU is set up, um, there's a lot of money that's sort of like hoovered up in Brussels and spat back out at the countries and then controlled by those countries' political elites. One of the most fascinating things about Viktor Orban is that he is the most – actually, right now, he's the most you know, longest-serving head of state in the European Union, which drives a lot of people to distraction, um, and I understand that. Um, but also, he uh, has been funneling EU money to himself and to his supporters and to his cronies and shaping his own political and business climate based on this to such an astonishingly brazen degree for a really long time. Um, so the person who's the most successful anti-EU politician in the EU is possibly the most corrupt beneficiary of EU dollars. And I know that's hard to figure out, but it's also kind of true. And right now the EU is in the, on the uh, verge of like trying to cut off Hungary once and for all. And they're doing it for all the wrong reasons. The right reasons is that you like misappropriate our funds. Fuck you. The wrong reason is we don't like what you said about immigrants or we don't like um, the tenor of your voice when you made a shitty speech in Transylvania or whatever. That's what Europeans want to care about in uh, an EU or an EC, even worse, uh, kind of context. Um, but in fact, there's a mechanism for the corruption there. And there's also a mechanism for foreign corruption, uh, which is to say that these groups, and here's where um, you might start to excite my sense of dangerousness, but I don't actually find this dangerous. Uh, but it is a, uh, an absolute truism that the countries of the kind of populist welfare state right in, in, uh, in all of uh, Europe are clients of Vladimir Putin. 
um, not like primary interest clients necessarily. They don't wake up in the morning doing this. They're beneficiaries of his money and his uh, political contacts. Particularly in France, yeah. And particularly in France, but no, Hungary more than France. Um, well, now, yes. Um, and uh, and this has been true for a really long time. In, in Hungary, it's more like that's become governmental or or uh, companies and oil companies and other things that have good connections with the government. So they're sort of replicating these structures. In France, it's more like the National Front or whatever it's called these days um, is is they receive money from Putin's. I mean, I'm not going to receive much more because he's going to run out at some point soon. So in that sense, yes, they are beneficiaries and there's sort of a network of things, but also. Um, just as in when Russia tries to influence American elections, at some point you have to say like, all right, or American politics, all right, are we, is, is American politics big enough to like, it fucking doesn't matter. Um, and you should have uh, the confidence, you should have the, the superstructure to be able to survive these, these episodes of foreign meddling. And this is a one small area of agreement transitorily that I will have with the Donald Trumps of the world's like, well, we've meddled in other people's elections. Well, yes, we have. And what I hope is that, A, we stop doing that, and then B, also, that they're strong enough that it doesn't really fucking matter because it's the politics you know, of the I country I don't really that mind that we, we monkeyed with the Italian election after the war where PCI, the Communist Party, was, uh, was uh, doing very, very well and <laughs> CIA supported Christian Democrats. It's fine. Yeah, I'm okay with that. Fucking um, well, CIA, OSS yeah, well, apologist over I'll tell you what, that's, that's the, the uh, OSS, exactly. Um, that is the <laughs> just uh, like first, first democratic election and the last democratic election of PCI wins. But um, to Camille's point, I would say that, you know, unlike a lot of these bozos who know nothing about what's happening in Ukraine, and decide to spout off on it with so a lot of confidence. By the way, Rio. yeah, which is some a position that even Donald Trump wouldn't take. Um, they love Donald Trump, but he would never take this position because he knows uh, the wind is not blowing in that way. The same thing is true in Italy. After the coalition government won, I mean, say she won 26 percent of the vote. Um, Maloney tweeted at Zelensky and said, "We have your back." We're here with you. We oh, have really? Yeah, yeah. Because there was a, a huge concern was that, you know, yeah, is, know is, that. is Italy going to, under these people, because, you know, Berlusconi the other week had said, well, you know, uh, he was just trying to get, you know, reasonable people in office in Kiev. And, you know, you got to understand where Putin comes from. Uh, Berlusconi is 85, 80, I think he's 85 years old. He is a crook. He is a liar. And he is a fixture. Italian politics is long balls. Yeah, very long balls. Yes. Bunga bunga <laughs> balls, we call them BBB. And he, you know, owns a lot of newspapers, et cetera, is very influential in the media. But and then you have guys like like um Salvini in La Liga, who was up at 16, 17, 18 percent before, and they got hammered this time, even in the north. They're the north there used to be the Northern League. The north of Italy kind of turned on him. They got, I think, about nine percent of the vote this time. So ten seconds. Northern League, Nazi, not Nazi. What's your, no, what's your they're, I would say that they're more, they're, they're, they're very right wing. Yeah, I wouldn't say they're Nazi, they're very right wing. Again, not my kind of guys, yeah. but uh, not my kind of guy. But, um, you know, is the that was the first concern was that, you know, they would sell out. The, I think the bigger concern is when you point out these speeches, when she says things like international finance capital. Keep in mind one thing about Italy. What we don't actually talk about, because we're, we're saying every headline's the fucking same, the most right-wing government since Mussolini. Nobody's pointing out other things 
like the Five Star Movement, which is a populist movement, uh, Beppe Grillo, who was the guy who started it, it was a comedian, an actor kind of thing. And, you know, you can't even pin down their politics. It's kind of left wing. It's kind of right wing. It's a populist movement. And they did pretty well this time, too. Right. Italy is a country because when you ignore the kind of needs of the masses and it becomes a machine, which is essentially what Italian politics has become. It's a kind of a corruption machine in a lot of ways. And whether it's the Christian Democrats, whether it's, you know, kind of a liberal party or a conservative party doesn't make a difference. You have these people that come up out of nowhere, like uh, Milani, like Salvini, and, and, and like Beppe Grillo, and these people that are just populist, right? So when she says something like, you know, we don't need international finance capital, and she essentially sounds like a, a radical lefty woman, which is, you know, on economics, what she sounds to be. That doesn't shock people in Italy because that's, I mean, PCI, the Italian Communist Party, was super influential for many, many, many years. And, you know, and then they, still in some fucking and still in some places, yeah. I mean, where she comes from was a traditionally red kind of area in Rome. But, you know, the, these things now, you know, the, the PCI doesn't exist anymore. It's not they have all these splinter parties that aren't very influential and they get they get really no votes. But that kind of thing worries me because it's become very popular everywhere from the Republican Party to, and you know, I had a text conversation with a friend today and we were talking about the number of people, like there's a hilarious thing where one bad company does something. It was a thing, a company in, in, in uh, Florida. Get to work, you know, during the hurricane, bring your kids to work with you. And, and the headline was like, you know, capitalism. It's like, guys, you're indicting an entire system because of a bad, one bad actor, one bad company. Whereas like capitalism, if you want to look at the, the scope of the last 50 years, has lifted like, you know, what, over a billion people out of poverty. And that worries me that, that, that in the United States, that in Europe and other places, I would like a free trade agreement. There's one on the books that has not been activated yet with Africa to help pull Africa out of poverty in the way that it helped pull Vietnam. India, China out of poverty. These people who loathe trade, who think it's a it's just a negative force for their country, they're very dangerous to me. And I think it's very dangerous for all of these European countries that indulge that stuff, whether from the left, left or the right. I think that's the real worry for me. I don't think the Ukraine thing is, is, is that big of a worry from Italy at the moment. Cool. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> so oh, he walks I mean, right back good. in the room, he's like, cool. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, yeah. it's it's I that's been answered. No, I want I want to get some other stuff in here. And I mean yeah, let's do it. we can come back across the pond. No, 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 Americans don't know what the hell is going on. Um first before so we go before we go to the next thing, I, I just want to say before I forget that I, I did oh, have a chance to finish this um okay, this good, piece, good, the making of Nicole Hannah Jones um in Tablet magazine, which um, I guess everyone can read now. It's online. And it, it's actually genuinely fascinating to have uh, such an in-depth profile you got through the whole thing? of Yeah, of we, this we of this out. quintessentially American figure who is obviously amongst the most important personalities in the prevailing cultural moment, um, and certainly in the culture wars. Um, the Beyonce of journalism, uh, and I and I imagine that Beyonce's probably published more albums than uh, Nicole Hannah Jones has published articles <laughs> over the course of the last couple of years, which is interesting because I imagine an album takes a little bit more effort and work, but whatever. Um, but it, it's interesting to have this, especially to have this kind of foreign perspective. Uh, Wait, a writer, he's he's French, right? He's French. Yeah. Yes. Um, is it uh, Mark? 
Weitzman, I Weitz, believe. Weitzman, I think it's, yeah, Weitzman. Yeah, um, and it's it's super interesting. Uh, the the in, most interesting moment to me is there's a quote in there from uh, my good friend Thomas Chatterton Williams, who's been on the podcast a bunch of times, where he's he's kind of talking about um, the the sort of self identification as a black person and the 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 need amongst some biracial people to have this kind of assertive blackness um when they have perhaps questions about whether or not they've been regarded as kind of credibly black and the fact that there's an actual response from nicole hannah jones to this appraisal of her self-identification by thomas and you can go read it for yourself and dive into the the kind of back and forth there. But what I find so interesting is it is almost certainly the case that there will never be an actual exchange between Nicole Hannah Jones and Thomas. I cannot or recall you. a time when, well, or me, but you know, who am I? Fuck me, whatever. Yeah. Um, good, good point. I can't recall a time <laughs> when, well, I mean, it would be a, yeah. a good decision. You, you need three names. You could do it. Um, <laughs> I have four. Camille, um, Camille Anthony Tulla Foster. Um, start using it, man. <laughs> so, yeah. I should, right? Yeah. Then, then, I'll, then I'll be, I'll get all the, the great um, appointments. But <laughs> it, it would be so interesting if these two people were actually having conversations with one another. It would be so good for the polity more generally, but she just kind of dismissively says, I've never met Thomas Chatterton Williams. I reject everything about his positions. Um, and yeah, that's very bright of her. Yeah. 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 Which is just challenging. Yeah. It would be interesting if you talked also denigrated him and insisted that he takes his positions for kind of personal advantage, which is all, always fun. I mean, the, the general broadside that my that positions are held earnestly. Yeah. Um, earnestly, um, but their positions are held because it's beneficial to them personally, um, which is just obvious bullshit for anyone who's actually listened to or read any of Thomas's work. So I thought that was very interesting. There was also this um, great quote in there um, about American history. I'm see if I can find it really quickly. So Camille, I want to ask you a question while you're finding that quote. I yeah. started reading it and I was uh, 1,500 words into it and hadn't gotten to Nicole Hannah-Jones yet. It was something about the history of her town. It was a very long intro. So, yeah. Ortello uh, um, closed up in 1940. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I was like, Fascinating. Right. I'm just, I'm just more interested in her than you, apparently. Yeah, no, well, no, I'm interested. I was just trying to. I was also watching Aaron Judge. Um, you know, <laughs> the 61st, the 61st home run, run. Yeah. and uh, that was pretty important too for America. So I'm trying to get biracial. Through, by, I think. Who knows? I'm not even sure. Sort of. Um, he doesn't have to prove yes. it though. He proves it by hitting home runs. But I was. <laughs> did he talk to? Did this guy? Because I didn't get to it. Did he talk to her? For this piece, it, it it appears he does did talk to her. Yeah, yeah. He he had a conversation with her at least. There's not you know extensive quotes from her, um, but there are there are some. That's um, why there's also a, a quote from an old editorial that she wrote, or not editorial, maybe, Cuba? but a piece that she wrote. Um, no, not about Cuba, um, about like white people and how they're like the greatest monsters in history. Mm -hmm. It's actually like really we've it's, seen that. That, yeah, that yeah. Have been uh, inadvertently a while, funny. Yeah. There's a college one. Yeah, right? it's inadvertently funny. Yeah, yeah I think it's a college it's newspaper. Maybe one, in the yeah. Observer or something. I don't know. I'd but like it's to still shout online. out. You can still find it and read it. I'd like to shout out not necessarily the long writing of that piece, um, which I recommend people uh, uh, go through, despite uh, uh, everything. Um, 
um, because uh, we want to <laughs> despite everything. That is a hell of an endorsement, Matt Welch. That is Matt not trying not to be specific and offend people. So he's like, despite everything, which is actually worse. <laughs> no, but what I want to encourage people to do is to support Camille in a project that I like have almost nothing to do with, which is that he will talk to people and get people down to sit and talk to one another yeah. uh, in these moments. And he'll do it on the uh, freely available podcast, as he did recently with Adam Davidson and old what's his face um, and Thomas uh, and uh, <laughs> uh, but also has done serially and does behind the scenes, too, in a way that you people don't exactly see, but is helpful, um, I think, to the broader world. And it's it is a weird thing. Uh, Camille, and I agree with you. Like she's sitting down with Thomas. That's all you want to see, actually. Like yeah. uh, th that's a fascinating thing. And the yeah, bi the absolutely. biracial question. And and at this point, I'm like fucking Camille pilled on this stuff. Like I don't believe in the word <laughs> biracial because I don't believe in the word racial. Doesn't make any sense. It's um, nonsense. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but uh, like so much would melt away, or would have to. If they were just sitting, mm -hmm. it's like like rendering the fat when you're cooking duck, right? Like at some point, you got to get rid of that little <laughs> thing on a duck breast. It goes away. Those yeah. of you who've cooked duck know can't, what I'm talking about. I can't believe you've never used that one before. <laughs> well, I just happened to cook it recently. No, it's a, it's a stupid uh, mistake on her part. Um, and she has done this consistently throughout the 1619 Project and the rollout. And it's really curious. It, it, and we've talked about it here before, but like it diminishes her actual standing as an intellectual um, because a lot of times she ends up being really clownish, like clownishly dismissive of people coming at her, like trying to organize. It should people. be pointed out, by the way, that before she became this kind of, you know, hate figure for the anti-CRT types, um, long before that, we had asked her to come on the podcast multiple times, multiple times, um, sent her a num number of emails, she can find them, they, they exist. But I want to say one quick thing before I forget it, is that this is one of the things that is really um, nasty and terrible and has a an, an horrible effect in the long term about social media. Because I think that if mm. it, it, you look in the past and look at the great intellectual squabbles in the 50s and 60s and 30s and 40s and Alcove 1 and Alcove mm. 2 and the, you know, functionalists and the intentionalists. And the cafes right? in Manhattan it's, in 1963. It is like, but there's, there, you very rarely, and if you did see this, it would be, you know, affixed to the top of all of their biographies that somebody just flat out refused to engage with people. Flat out refused. Not only like, it's not like, oh, I won't refuse... I, I won't engage with Thomas or Camille because I think they've done X, Y, and Z in bad faith. It's everybody. It's everybody on the other side. And I yeah. think that that is absolutely really is. a result of social media. When you mm -hmm. are in, like, you see the way she acts on social media, like, you know, being like nasty and blocking and horrible. And it's just not good interactions. And maybe it's not even her fault. Maybe it's people who come at her in a nasty way. And I feel bad for her in that way. I mean, people should come at her in a, in a sort of honest, open way and say, let's debate these issues. But after a long time of that, you just don't even believe because you think the quality of every dissent is the same quality of someone attacking you on social media. So you say, I don't even need it. I don't even need it at this point because all they do now, it gets kind of difficult when you have somebody like, you know, James McPherson and Gordon Wood and Sean Wilentz and all people of the left or who are, you know, just the sort of really kind of the kings of American, his early American history at this point. Um, and they've all done amazing and interesting work, disagree with it or not. I mean, Gordon Wood, especially, I mean, just you could fill up 
you know, this apartment, this studio with his books. I mean, just an incredible scholar. And I also disagree with him on a bunch of stuff too, but that stuff is harder to dismiss. But when you're in that environment and you say like, yeah, these people are all just, you know. It flattens. Yeah, it flattens everything. And like, these are just nasty haters and she says all this crappy shit and she shows her grill and blocks you, you know. I mean, Margaret Sullivan in her book, which comes out in a couple of weeks and I'll have a review that'll finally be published. It'll be reviewed by everybody in media and bought by nobody in America. Yeah, I mean, it's. <laughs> it, I, that's my early prediction. We'll see what, what goes that's on. That's the dream, damn it. The yeah. advance um, is still good, yeah, baby. Yeah, exactly. This woman who is the press critic, right? She was the what, the public editor of the New York Times for five years and then became kind of like the media writer for the Washington Post for another five years during Trump. So like had this big thing, a big profile in this big era. Uh, she kind of zooms through the Nicole Hannah-Jones things. Like I just have a lot of great respect for her. And, you know, there's been some people who've criticized her and it's a minority yeah. of the of the historians out there who do that. And that's it. That's all we get of that. And that just history does... is politics in that way. History is is you know a debate on Morning Joe, and it's and uh, it's not. And it's also like it that analysis is taking the the measure uh, not of serious uh, criticisms, but the measure the background measure is of what people say on Twitter, which mm -hmm. is one of the biggest problems in journalism is that you confuse that crap for anything that matters as opposed to scholarly disagreements of which there was a higher than usual percentage in this particular sure. case. Yeah. And her reaction to that was not, uh, by her, I mean, Nicole Holland Jones was not uh, what you would expect from a professional at that Look, time. Look, what we do and I'm guilty of this, you're guilty of this, uh, Camille Lesso, because doesn't have, you know, a long track record of saying stupid things um, in print. Uh, unfortunately, we do. <laughs> in print. In print. <laughs> My God, the text. Camille, I'm being very specific. Holy shit. In print. <laughs> um, is that we are broad and shallow in so many ways. Like, I'm not an expert in Italian politics. I know a little bit about it, and I'm interested in the way that America covers it. That's why we talked about fascism, not specifically yeah. about what's going on in Italy. So I'm not an expert in this in any way. But we talk about it, right? I go back, and I'm like, oh, shit, I wrote a piece about that? Huh, interesting. Gordon Wood has never written something he doesn't remember. <laughs> they're mm. like they they know they're writing mm. on one field forever right and they're mm -hmm. really interested in like they, we treat this is treated like journalism like this really kind of you know, just empty calorie journalism, ephemeral. ephemeral stuff that people kind of produce and like, oh yeah, I remember that story. I kind of remember that. And it's like, you wrote 1200 words about that 10 years ago. Like, oh, did I? Like that just doesn't happen with historians in the same way. They might forget details, but it's like, that's what they've devoted their life to. And when the people like that come out swinging and there's a, not a lot of people, I mean, the thing about the 1619 project, there are people that are involved in it that aren't really historians of the period. There's some that are not a ton. Um, that aren't even really, some of them aren't even historians, including Nicole Anna Jones, that, you know, most of the people that have criticized this are really heavy hitters in, in the field. Most other people haven't said anything. It's not worth it. Why bother? Remember the guy that w was running the American Historical Association or something? Right, yeah. He said something about it and he issued an apology. He didn't get anything wrong. He never said anything. He got anything wrong. I just, I'd apologize if people, you know, were offended reading this because I know that she is your <laughs> Muhammad. And I drew a cartoon mm -hmm. of her, and I very, I'm very sorry about that. But like that is the, that kind of stuff is so wild to me. Is that historians don't want to step into this new atmosphere that's been created by Twitter, social media, and you know, 24 hour 
lots of 24-hour cable news and things like that. So, yeah, I'll read yeah, the piece. The, I got to finish it. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's worth reading. The, the line oh. that I was I was referring to was at some point he was having a conversation. The author was having a conversation with someone in the U.S. who who is who's who's spent more time with this material and understands mm. these debates more. And I'm looking for. Gosh, I lost it again. Hold on. I just went off on a rant just to give you time to find it. And then 40 minutes well, later, yeah, I gave but you then too I'm much like time. listening to you. I gave you too much time. I had it. Yeah. I had it. And I then rolled I lost over. it. Yeah. Oh, oh. Yeah. <laughs> but, the, but the quote was just funny to me. And then she asked me by way of explaining her support for the 1619 Project, despite historian objections, are John Ford movies accurate? What? Were his who said, wait, who said that? Who said that? Who said that? This is America. As she said, we vulgarize everything. What? He, this person this is defender? not. Wait, th no, that's well, not actually, her. Is this person identified? No, this is not her. This is someone who's kind of defending the project, yeah. who, who likes the project and is defending it. Um, I don't know if he identifies. So the he's defending who said it that. by saying, "I saying he this is a different. person who teaches literature at Columbia University." Oh, um, so she has to remain anonymous. That's we can narrow that down. Um, she. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'll figure out who this person we'll is. is. <laughs> but like your defense is that other things yes. are inaccurate? Yes. That's what the defense is? For, forcefully inaccurate. That's, and that's what, that's the American but way, not even, apparently. But not even scholarship. John Ford movies. I mean, <laughs> how much? Lord. There's an entire... Which is actually maybe an apt comparison. That may yeah. be completely fair. He, so yeah. That person just threw Nic Nicole Hannah-Jones uh, like a life raft a made of cement. Yeah. It's like, get on <laughs> this one. It's just going to fucking sink to the bottom. There's Jesus a whole Christ. museum in L.A., which I... Uh, recommend everyone go to the it used to be called the uh, Gene Autry Museum of Western Heritage. I don't know what it's called now. Um, they slightly, I think they might have taken Gene's name off or just made it only the Gene Autry Museum. At any rate, the concept of it was it's in Griffith Park over by the zoo was brilliant. It was let's take um, American, uh, the the way that we present and talk about American history of the West and compare and like where that happens and that happens in Westerns, mm -hmm. it happens in popular culture, it happens in other things. Um, and let's compare that um, to the uh, what actually happened and then the sort of interrelationship between the two. It's fascinating, endlessly mm -hmm. fascinating as a subject. Like one of the things that I saw there, Moynihan, uh, was uh, a, uh, a collection of Western uh, 50s, 60s, 70s, I think 80s, um, Polish western mm. movie posters mm -hmm. and you know polish poster art is like some of the it's most incredible yeah, yeah, yeah. like uh, commie art you're gonna see and anti-commie art sometimes when mm. it's sort of sublimated it's really fascinating um so people have been studying john ford's you know the way that he used mythology to shape and misshape our understanding of the west and uh, Westerns and the relationship between cowboys and Indians and all that kind of shit for a really long time. It's like completely rich. Like every UC school has an entire department that's basically focused on this. And to use that as a kind of intellectual defense is an incredible but, but it's But it's also incredibly stupid uh, because there's always this idea that there's a uniqueness to the way that Amer America has done these sorts of things, right? Now, Westerns were, f were popular the world over. I mean, Adolf Hitler's favorite author was Karl May, who is a German Fucking who- Fucking Vinatou, man. Vinatou and Shatterhand, yeah. Karl May, whose career 
um, faltered and sputtered when it was discovered by somebody who did a profile of him in a German newspaper that he'd never been to America. Not even once. Not even once. And so he wrote these books, right? And so these books are incredibly popular. And um, when you see this stuff in an ideological frame, wasn't very ideological in Germany. Then there are people that, of course, take it that way. It's not initially kind of presented that way. So intersperse, Vinatu is like the sort of wise Indian character, Native but, American character. So here's the thing about yeah. those, is that after 1945, the German film industry they had an, an enormous film studio called Ufa. It was the biggest film studio. I've made all the amazing movies in the 20s. And there was- it Sounds like a good porn studio Ufa, name. Well, I yeah. think it probably is now. Yeah. But uh, the East Germans had something called DEFA which was the, the Eastern one. And they did a bunch of um, cowboy and Indian movies where the Indians were always the heroes, yeah. everyone. And so you have like the American actor, Dean Reed, which I wrote about for a reason, my first time I ever wrote for a reason, uh, playing like this, you know, drunk, horrible cowboy or somebody who is a cowboy who sympathizes and understands the Indians, right? And that kind of thing, you, it's always weaponized. It's the East Germans are using the story, not saying, "Oh, they told it wrong. It wasn't true." They're seeing the story and saying, "How can we tell this in a way that comports with the kind of vision that, of the world that 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 we have? What's our Weltanschauung? What is the the, the German version?" of a Western. And the, the German version of the Western is the horrible imperialist Americans uh, killing killing natives. That's how they, it's the exact same story, the exact same characters. And then they reframe it that way. But, you know, does anyone expect, it's not a racialized thing. It's not a thing about, you know, slavery and, you know, um, abolitionism and natives and settlers. It's not that at all. You're not, I mean, there are films that, you know, bullshit the history as you would expect. There's going to be in those days, you know, the heroes and the villains. That's how people made movies. But do you think you're going to get an accurate idea of what happened in Iwo Jima, watching the sands of Iwo Jima with John Wayne? No, of course you're not. It's going to be a rah-rah. There's a purpose for this. This is what we're trying to accomplish. In every vision of American history in that time, even the kind of left-wing ones, which is Mission to Moscow, which I've mentioned a lot, they're all fake. They're all wrong. And if you think you're going to get an accurate vision of history, the, the other thing about it is that people believe that kids watch these, teens watch these, adults watch these, and their brains are arrested from that moment on, and nothing ever clarifies it for them. If you are getting your vision of American history through a film that was produced in the 1950s, and it was cowboys and then Italians in like face paint, I mean, bad stuff, right? You're hopeless. There's not a lot to save you. It's not like as if a Nicole Hannah-Jones book or even a sort of, you know, program in the schools that is dumbed down is going to help you. No. I mean, there's every country in the world has an idealized version of their past. Every single fucking one. They have it from a different political perspective. The Swedes have it from a like, I mean, Jesus Christ. It's like there used to be a thing in Sweden. If somebody made a joke about the Swedes on a late night show, it would be on the front page of the newspaper. It's like they're talking about Sweden abroad. Like it's they have a very keen <laughs> sense of who they are and they like they love to correct you. So if I talk about Sweden and I say something that every, the person who's emailing me agrees with 100 percent, they'll still email me and say you got it wrong. Yeah. They don't like it. Like it's like an Irish person saying your Irish accent is terrible. And no one will ever admit that an American does a good Irish accent. They'll just it's just it's like if you live in L.A. <laughs> and the New York Times writes anything about yeah, you. Yeah, it's like you don't understand L.A. You don't understand this. You don't understand. Everybody has regional, national, you know, ideas about themselves, mythologies, you can say. 
And we have this idea of American uniqueness that our past and the way that we have presented America's past is uniquely dishonest. And it's about average for its dishonesty. It's not uniquely dishonest at all. I mean, really, it's not. I mean, I, it's, I, I'm, I'm baffled by people who say that because it's been something that people have corrected over, over a lot of time in films, in novels, and there's been a pushback against it, and the pendulum swings the other way. I mean, this is a long, we're very far afield from somebody comparing Nicole Hannah-Jones to John Ford, but I, I, I do like that reference because I like how dumb it is. I like how aggressively stupid it is to say, you know, well, we've really always been bad about uh, American history. So now you're also citing something from 80 years ago. But there's also <laughs> there's a lot of stuff in between. <laughs> there's you know? there's also uh, to buttress your point. There's uh, people underestimate the user um, kind of uh, uh, agency in taking this. Right. So Karl May never goes. He's German. Never goes, Never to, goes to, America, no. to America. Writes all these things about Vinitu, um, this this like Indian who's like sort of proud and peaceful, um, and and there's Shatterhand, and so writes all these things. Then they get made during communism into movies where the Italians who play the Indians are are played by by Yugoslavs, mm -hmm. obviously this big big tear and the feathers mm -hmm. um, by Yugoslavs. And so, what do people behind the Iron Curtain see in the movie theater? They see Vinatu movies. Yeah. And so, like when we uh, went over there in 1990, they were like, "Is Vinatu real?" Like that's yeah, yeah. like the first question. Like the you know later it became who shot Tupac, but like at the beginning, <laughs> it was. <laughs> it was all about Vinatu. And he shot Tupac. And people took that as they did, and I've mentioned this here before, um, as they took uh, the uh, novels of Jack London. Yeah. And Jack Lennon was a fucking socialist, mm -hmm. uh, very much so, but a socialist who depicted these sort of like harshly individualistic scenes in the American frontier. Mm -hmm. And people are like, fuck yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, was yeah. Trying, <laughs> he was trying to make it look bad. And people are like, well, Wolf Larson? Yeah. yeah. Uh, fuck well, I like <laughs> me some wolf. Um, so people in, behind the Iron Curtain saw Vinatu movies mm -hmm. and they're like, Yes. So individualism and going out and being self-sufficient in the countryside far away from a central government mm -hmm. is a good anti-communists loved fucking Vinatu. Yeah. So like it's like already two or three abstractions yeah. from the base reality. People use it for what they want. And, and the anti-communists fucking love Jack Lennon. There's a whole like tramping culture among people. And they did it during the 80s, especially where they would go off. And there was like there were there were secret police infiltrations of Jack London slash Vinatu tramping groups in the mm -hmm. 1980s in Hungary and Czechoslovakia. They fucking did it because they knew that, that those were problem people because they liked their freedom. I, I would I would challenge anyone. We can end on this, but I mean, I would challenge anyone to say, find a culture in the, in the past 120 years, let's say from the start of film, that portrayed its history accurately. And, and, you know, a lot of these, I mean, these are places that have independent film companies not that are not under government control. A lot of them are gov under government control, like, you know, the German film industry from 1933 and when you're in East Germany till basically 1989, 90, they, they let some stuff through in the end. But I, I can't imagine that there are any. And I think about it because I have a massive collection of weird propaganda films. And I actually said on the 
on the uh, on the subscriber podcast that we should do a crazy propaganda film club because I have weird oh, yeah. movies that no one's at, like weird stuff like the Hungarian movie Shoes Machine which is one of my favorites it's like about a shoe factory it's in, like these stuff these things are completely nuts I mean they're literally you know party line socialist realism in the most offensively boring way. I mean, there's some, these Germans are probably the most artistic and do some really interesting stuff. The Polish make some good films, but they're all basically, um, you know, subversive films, you know, uh, you know, Andres Vida and people like that. But yeah, I mean, it's like, this is when people talk about American history and we're going to write American history because it is so unbelievably offensive that it was so wrong for so, for, for so long is that when you write American history, you usually make it in, in the wrong way. There's nobody who's ever, I mean, do you think Howard Zinn was trying to present a balanced portrait of America after seeing jingoism and rah-rah histories? No, of course not. It's corrective. It's a corrective. It's supposed to be the opposite. It's not supposed to be the middle. It's supposed to be the opposite. And that's not what it is. I mean, look, on the right, you have people like Paul Johnson. Uh, you know, his history of America is a very rah-rah from the other side. And that's what people do, be very, very skeptical of people who are actively in, and will tell you without sort of much obfuscation that they're writing a political history of the country or of an event or of a war. That's just stuff. I mean, the Howard Zinn stuff is like, ah, oh, I saw the light when I read Howard Zinn. No, you didn't. You saw just the other light. You saw a different light. Uh, there's stuff that's stuff that's true in that. There's stuff that's true in the other stuff too. I mean, I, I loathe this idea that one person in one quote unquote project is going to reframe how we think of the founding of this country. And it's not even the fact that mm -hmm. the stuff that's wrong in it, it's just the mm -hmm. instinct of it, of like one person, one project. It's totalizing a little bit. It's totalizing yeah. and it feels like yeah. the fucking propaganda well, this, department. Well, yeah. So a couple of, a couple of things. Um, one, I'm, I've noticed that uh, Chris Ruffo has been uh, going <laughs> a little bit nuts on the internet most of the day, but I only caught wind of it this afternoon and I'm, I'm seeing it because people are tagging me in this discussion um, on Twitter. Apparently he tweeted something uh, to the effect of um, if uh, bad books that I dislike are in public libraries, um, presumably in public libraries, in public schools, but he never actually restricts these things in that way. I mean, he's already talked about limiting what private companies can do and certainly universities and university classrooms. So he won't stop at just the public schools. But in either case, his suggestion is that if these books that I dislike end up in public classrooms that is effectively an endorsement of the books by the government. Essentially, any yes. book that is in a library, a public library, that voters allow to be in the library is an endorsement. How does he frame that? Just read it. Read it. Yeah, does he have a, does let me, let me find the, Here's the exact quote. Here it is. Okay. In a democracy, the voters who fund public institutions get to decide which values those institutions transmit to children. If a public library features genderqueer or Mayan Kampf, it's an endorsement and excluding those no, books but, but, is not a ban, what? quote unquote ban. They are widely available elsewhere. Wait, that is, uh, that is the argument. That is the genius, the hold genius on. argument on offer here. Wait, so would he make the argument prior to Amazon and the internet that, 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 that it is banning because they're not widely available in other places. Somebody in the middle of the country who doesn't have a, you know, internet book service because there's no internet book service because they no could probably internet. still order it. They could still still order it by For, phone and have it shipped to them by over two weeks or something like that. I don't know. But the but, existence but of Mein Kampf preposterous. Yeah, is an endorsement of Mein Kampf. 
The does existence it, is it of Mein Kampf tr- in the, in the public in library, library. That's is the an thing. endorsement. Okay. That's Although it. my suspicion is Mein Kampf is actually in plenty of libraries oh, it's because in, it's, kids I would have it's, to read this book in school. Of so. Yeah, <laughs> I, w- I would be... Yeah. I would be offended if it wasn't. Um, Along with plenty of other awful things, like the speeches of some Civil War general who wanted to save slavery. You're going to read this. You're going to encounter you know this material, and you should. How do you know if you don't read it? How do it's you know that, they're, that they believe these things, believe these wild ideas? How do you have conversations about it if you don't read it? I don't understand this. To- I mean, I actually believe the, this the, stuff. It's nuts. The, the, idea, the idea here, and there are a number of bad ideas baked into this tweet, the first of which is that the purpose of sort of democratic involvement in public institutions is to decide what values will be transmitted to children, which I don't think that is the proper way to think about public education. It is certainly true that, that you have some rights to make decisions and you could completely politicize public education in precisely the way that Chris is talking about by deciding which things will be taught and which things won't be taught on the basis of who has political power in this particular area. But it is also possible to have a different sort of project, one where you want children to learn basic things like how to read and how to write really well and to engage with ideas that are complicated and difficult. And it is not the case that there aren't people on the left who aren't interested in using the schools and the libraries to try and do some sort of indoctrination. But I don't think that trying to create a a sort of competing project of indoctrination and, and quite frankly, normalizing this process of indoctrination through public institutions is a good strategy. Um, I am confident that Chris's efforts to try and shape the culture through the ballot box is going to fucking fail. It is already yes. failing. And, and I think he knows that it's failing, which is the part that's a little bit silly. Like the banned CRT thing, he, he acts at this point as if he never said it. Mm-hmm. But you did. And it didn't work. And it will not work. This is not how these things work. It will fail. It sets a horrible precedent. And it never stops at public institutions. So stop tweeting at me. Telling me that it's just K through 12, Camille. It's not a marketplace of ideas. One, I never suggested it was. That is Rufo's ridiculous invention. Um, But two, it never stops there. He's already bypassed that mark. Cut it out. The slippery Um, slope stops. But but let me ask you a question here. Because this is a thing that when you frame this, and this is a glaring hole amongst many other glaring holes in in that tweet. You frame this as a democratic argument when a in a democracy, people make these decisions, you must adhere to them. I don't know how one balances that and how, how, how one judges that, because if you are voting, let's say it's Ron DeSantis. It, it's, this is not about what DeSantis believes or where he's a good guy or a bad guy. I'm just saying that if DeSantis has an idea about the curriculum and you vote for him, that therefore is an endorsement of a certain slate of books Okay, so 54%, let's say 54% vote for Ron DeSantis. Healthy. Healthy, right? The 46% of other people who have a different view, you're going, so 54%, now we overrule the ideas of the 46% and we don't actually have the books that they appreciate in the library. And you say that there's a democratic process here. The democratic process is broad-based. It's, they're on broad ideas. It's not book by book. 
The idea that you can actually formulate <laughs> what a series of books are that one can read based on the, quote, democratic process would, would, would require people by force of government to everybody like Australia, you must come out and vote and vote for what books should be available in the library. That is a recipe for an utter nightmare and disaster because it pre presumes that, first of all, people have read all of these books. We have to put some trust in people who or can- Or that they care about the fight. Like, they care about the uh, fight. They wake yeah. up in the morning, my God, the library might have three books I don't like. I just, I can't imagine that somebody would walk into my house and say, this is, an, this is an endorsement of these books. I certainly hope they have. A lot of crazy books it's in my house. locked up, dude. Oh, my Lord. Do I have... I mean, and by the way, the funny thing is, like, you see, because I've written about, I've been interested in, uh, you know, sort of modern German history, beyond Nazi, mostly East Germany, actually. And they see a lot of swastikas on the spines. They never point out Lots. the fact that about... You know, a 10 to 1 ratio are hammers and sickles on the spines. <laughs> I have a lot of commie books. And these aren't endorsements. I have Soviet posters on the wall. These are not endorsements. Do you have a disclaimer yet on the wall? Like, uh, I, I, we I, hear an Easter egg. No, um, I, the reason is because I'm not friends with fucking morons. <laughs> People tend to understand why I sort of, you know, kind of bathe in this stuff. Why I'm like marinating in this kind of history. I like it. I'm interested in it. And I'm reading about it constantly. In, in how would I know? I mean, I have read, Josef Goebbels wrote a play called Michael, which is very difficult to get these. I've read it. And it's wild and bizarre and I terrible. I presume gay porn. Mm -hmm. It is, it is it's homoerotic in its way. Yeah. Um, it's it's very anti-CRT, so it might maybe be okay in certain <laughs> places. But, you know, I'm happy that I read that book. I'm happy that I've I read a long time ago and have referenced in the past Mein Kampf. It allowed me, by the way, to write a long time ago for reasons, something that nobody had written, was that the idea of the quote-unquote big lie was not instruction by Nazis and instruction by Adolf Hitler in Mein Kampf. It was an accusation against Jews. So to actually <laughs> say you're using the big lie is actually repeating an anti-Semitic canard. And I knew that because I've read Mein Kampf. And I had flagged it one time and I was like, oh, that's not what I thought it was. But and, see, but see, Moynihan, if you, know, you ban Mein Kampf and nobody can ever read it, then you could misuse that big exactly. lie thing and no yeah. one will be any the wiser. Well, you can point it out and people still keep using it. So it doesn't really matter either way, I guess. <laughs> I have no influence. Um, but, but two other things quickly, because um, we've probably gone way too long on this. I think I mentioned before that I started started reading Call of the Wild with Leah, who is five Draft, years old. Man. Actually, she'll be five years old in December. And it, yeah. I thought it was a mistake, but she kept asking to to start reading it again. Yeah. So we are doing it again oh, um, and we're in chapter three. And it's actually it's actually very interesting to read a book like that with a, a, a child that young because the language is pretty demanding. Yeah. Um, but I, I should say, if I didn't explain before, I, I'm doing it because I think the most formative literary experience I've ever had um, or I had in my life was Mr. V's sixth grade class where mm -hmm. he would routinely for for almost on a daily basis like read bits of jack london to the class he just had like this great timbre in his voice and yeah. it it really made it come alive and we did call it the wild and white fang and the most dangerous game um i remember all three of those in sixth grade class and i can like still hear the man's voice um, and I just wanted to try to impart some of that to her. So maybe doing it at five is a bad idea and will give her nightmares, although it hasn't yet. Mm. Um, 
but it, keep it in mind that when be... my daughter was five, I remember yeah. <laughs> she referenced the other day too. We were lying in bed and trying to sleep. Swear to God, and I remember uh -huh. exactly the night. I remember where we were, how we were like curled up on the couch. And uh, she said, Papa, which one is the bad Korea? Is it East? And I was like, North. And she said, yeah, North. <laughs> Five years old, swear to God. And I was like, there we go. She's on the right track. I mean, she knew it was the bad Korea. A little bit too late, frankly. Yeah. Well, but like, I I, I, well, she was referencing hearing about it previously. So it might have been when she was four years old. But Camille, I'm, I'm happy to hear that you got that in sixth grade. And I think that if you were in certain places, and you know, this would excite somebody like Chris Rufo, in certain places in the country... Um, and you were getting a sixth grade education right now, just by dint of um, melanin content, you might mm. not be be exposed to certain things like that because right. it's not supposed True. to resonate oh, yeah. with people. And Some, that yeah. is the wildest thing in the world to me because, like, you know, when you read Young Verther, you, like, I'm you know, Goethe is not resonating with somebody in Massachusetts and, like, you know, the, the people drowning in shallow pools and stuff because yeah. they're morose and sad. It's like, I don't have any reference and I created those worlds. The world yeah, yeah. of Germany, to me, seeing it for the first time in, in real life was so crazy and shocking and I was trying to figure out which stuff actually resembled what I thought it was because I made those worlds, right? I mean, that was, the, I didn't want to be in Massachusetts in at that point in my life. I wanted to be wherever the book took me. And one of the one of the real um, kind of resonant books for me was My Antonia of all books, the Willa Cather mm. novel. And it was like a settler book and there was like a check. I remember seeing the word bohunk in it and I was like, I don't know what that means. <laughs> but like it, it was it was so distant from who I was ethnically even, you know, Italians and Irish didn't go very far from where they landed because they were lazy. Dumb, yeah. yeah they were lazy and dumb. <laughs> they were like, I'm going to be a fucking cop. Like, really? <laughs> and I was like, I'm going to go sleep. <laughs> All right, fine. That's good. That's your future. That's fine. I'm going to rob people. But, you know, that had no resonance to my life, you know, in my life at all. And I'm, I'm, I'm very happy. To do that, which I've said in a long time ago in this podcast, that when the most depressing thing for me was noticing on the subway, and it's still true. God, it's so fucking horrible. And notice on the subway that everybody who doesn't have the same melanin uh, content as me, might be more, are reading books that have people on the cover or references on the cover to that boring, immutable characteristic mm -hmm. that could mm -hmm. be a bad book, could be a great book. Yes. I mean, look, yeah, yeah. I'm I mean, if you're reading Baldwin, if I mean, even, you know, people that I don't like, like Du, du Bois, mm -hmm. uh, who I ultimately don't like, I think is a fantastic writer and really interesting. Very good about drawing maps. Very bad about Stalin, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> no Stalin. That kind of, but it's, it's very Nobody's worthwhile perfect. Read. Yeah, it's yeah. worthwhile to read even Du Bois on I mean, Stalin. That's just, yes. Yeah. Why are you doing that? Why? There's I mean, so confronting... Much more. Confronting perspectives you you don't understand, worlds you've never visited, ideas that you are bound to hate, the worst kinds of ideas. This is this is learning. Yeah. <laughs> this is this yeah. is an education. Yeah. Like the other thing, I don't even know what to call that. It yeah. will fail miserably. Mm. I want challenging, daunting things to be in front of my child. I don't want ridiculous propagandistic indo indoctrination. Um, but again, I don't think that you address the problem with that sort of thing materializing on the left by becoming determined, determinedly uh, illiberal 
in your approach. And it is entirely possible to use democratic processes to try and obtain a liberal ends and trying to restrict access to ideas you dislike because yeah. you find them politically repugnant is illiberal. Yes. Even That's how it works. I know that won't matter to Chris because he doesn't actually care because he is he is one of those people who has a post-liberal project and believes that liberalism is a weakness. Everything that is great that's happened in this world has been as a result of the liberal project. I just, I firmly believe that. It's and I, if it true. goes away, that you cannot expect that the liberalism that we've established will hold. That's not, it doesn't exist in perpetuity because we think it should. And I will mm -hmm. say one one thing about, about, you know, people reading books that take them to different places. There's one example of this that is the most perfect example, most perfect example of how People do not even relate or don't even want to relate to the things that are close to their lives, unless they're told to. And this is the way you should consume literature. And the, the, the best example of that is not only young girls, there's a lot of young girls, there's young boys too, but is Japanese anime. That world is so alien and the kids, they, they don't want to watch it with the English voice. They want to watch it in ja Japanese. Like the clothes, everything is so weird. It's so different. In the books that, that people have eschewed and said we should instead only read books of people who have sort of very similar kind of uh, skin colors, where it might be cultures, et cetera, they're not very different. Right. I mean, you can you can grow up in a sort of middle class black family, middle class Puerto Rican family, middle class Irish Jewish family, and you can go to college and read Don DeLillo. And it's going to it's it's yeah, it's not too far. For you. you get these characters, you get the scenes, you understand the backdrops. That's not weird. You watch some of this stuff like these Japanese things of like that one studio. That's what's it called? Studio yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like I've watched. Fantastic. It's fantastic. So it's so, so bizarre. And I'm like. The, there's no animation. There's no drawing like this in America. It's so unique to that mm -hmm. world. And the stories, like Levy and I watched one because she had watched that Kiki's Delivery Service and she loved it. It's a fantastic movie. And we watched another one that was from that studio. And it was all, it was the most depressing thing. And she was like, Papa, this is a bit sad. And it was about like a father who died in the Second World War. And it was like the most Japanese thing. And it really kind of resonated with her and like kind of haunted her for a little bit. And she loved that world because it was so different from, from where she existed. And it's not to say that one should cut off or say like, you know, you come from a culture that has X, Y, and Z. I'm fine with that. That's totally fine. That's If you're Italian, if you're, you know, Irish, if you're black, whatever, it doesn't make a difference. Th those things are like, because you can kind of say, well, my grandfather did that. That's what Irish and Italian-Americans are like. They don't see it as an Italian or an Irish culture because they don't attribute kind of values to it at all. Italians used to, like it's, the Irish really don't. They see like, oh, well, let's give money to Norade, right? And like fund the IRA and put flags up in South Boston. It's just like my grandfather was a person who came from there. And that's about the extent of it. There's not a lot more to it, but I allow, that's great. That's fine. That's fine because you learn a lot that way. But if you totally indulge in that only and you become, then go to Ireland, then see what they say. They fucking hate more than anything a bunch of, you know, American patties who come over saying, oh, I'm Irish and they get angry about that. And I, and I had a friend uh, from Ghana who had the same feeling about people who said that they were African or African-American. They're like, it's very different than what you think. I mean, Camille, about 10 days ago, was uh, fighting a multi-day uh, jihad on Twitter, insisting that mermaids aren't real. 
Um, and, yeah. and I, I don't think that's true. Daryl Hannah's a mermaid and she got married to fucking Neil Young. It was Neil Young or it was Jackson Brown. Well, um, Neil Jackson Brown, you know, did some bad shit. Yeah. Um, now Neil Young. But, uh, it, it underscores that, uh, look, there's a, a, a perennial fascination of people to go to a different place and to see something mm. Beautiful and wonderful, and sometimes though that different place is in fantasy or in sci-fi or it's in mermaids, that kind of shit. Sometimes it's like reading uh, Mark Twain uh, books. Yeah, mm, sure. uh, like that lingo is different than what we have I now. I loved it. I love those books. I really and they're did. incredible for kids, and I recommend well, that would, more because it has a, the N word in it. Yeah. I never, I never read that one because we grew up in an anti-racist household, and it just did not. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, look, schools I are loved... trying to ban. Schools are trying to ban these books now. I, I yeah. suppose Chris Rufo endorses that project. Sure. I mean, I mean, when it's you great. asked me when I was a kid, who is your favorite character? I said, "Person of Color, Jim." Yep. And that was <laughs> a thing that you know, yeah. in my household, that's what we said. Just telling you the truth. That's what we said. There yeah. is. They, they can only hear little baby say say nigga. They can't see, yeah. they can't encounter it in Mark Twain. Now is like, it's too it. much. Yeah. It's too much. Yeah, little baby's lying. It's just yeah. too much. These kids, how can you expect them to endure that? They're yeah. they're they're berated with the N-word all day long by their favorite rapists mm. who are singing their billboard charting hits. Uh, but they they can't encounter it in a book. It's just too much. It's too, it's too it, much. it is it is absolutely I tell much. you what, the day they come for Sutri though. The day they come for Blood Meridian because mm -hmm. of the extensive use of language like that mm -hmm. um, is the day that I get my guns. I'm just saying. I don't. Can so you imagine living in a world already? that is censored? Well, I mean, I get them out. Bad things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You don't have any guns. They're all legal. <laughs> yeah. The thing that about the people who make these demands of of students and of you know libraries. And of parents, and that is the Rufos of the world, and and the people in Brooklyn who do the same thing. They have one common feature, and everybody knows what the common feature is. Just think about it for two seconds: is that they're utter, utterly humorless and dull. Yeah, ain't funny. They're not funny. They don't have any like. It's just like going. Imagine living your life, being one of these people who does hot takes or you know you know writing for the Daily Beast or something. And your 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 remit is to destroy joy, and movies come out and it has the wrong person in the wrong role. Says you, not says the casting director. But you go around and you say, like, I mean, I saw this thing. There was an Anne Boleyn uh, thing from AMC or something. I think it was British, but it was probably licensed by AMC, and it was about a year ago. And Anne Boleyn, um, Henry VIII's one of his very lucky wives. Um, was played in the film by a black woman. Now, this was done to provoke a response, and there was basically not a response. Have you heard of this? No. Of course. It was mm. on American television. Nobody heard Nobody gives a shit. All right. If it mm -hmm. goes the other direction, right, you know, oh my God, Scarlett Johansson played a character in a cartoon that was Asian-ish in a cartoon, <laughs> let's ban it, and then she goes out and apologizes. How about everybody stops being so utterly dour in being right. these unbelievable killjoys and just allow culture to exist and take shape on its own and the good stuff will rise to the top, the bad stuff will fall to the bottom. Not always true, but but true enough. Right? And also mm -hmm. there'll, there'll be shit on the fucking long tail of it that is absolutely random, that will excite weirdos yes. for absolutely random reasons. 
Yes, and mm-hmm. we'll change the culture 20 years down the road. Yeah, that's fine. Mm. Yeah. That's totally fine. Whether it's like Monty Python or, you know, um, the million movies that were like kind of fringe movies in the past that have become sort of, you know, normal and 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 uh, things that people love. But anyway. I was scrolling. Also, Scarlett Johansson gets to star in whatever the hell she wants. Well, the, I think um, she, she might have apologized for that. I'm not sure. Well, I, that's too bad. She shouldn't. She, she was great in that body yeah. style, me movie. I wanted to make um, two quick points before yeah. you stop me from making them. One, um, <laughs> uh, I already forget. Uh, no, and two is that this co- is literally an enormous glass of tequila. Just tequila, and it's literally <laughs> it hurts my stomach right now. Crushing you. I'm, just, I, yeah, I'm crushing still it. Still drinking it. Yeah. Just stop. I'm still drinking it. Yeah. Uh, one is that no populists on both sides um, see advantage in taking aim, and sometimes it is righteous and justified aim. Most of the time, it's exaggerated or hyperbolic (laughs) um, at whatever is perceived to be a neutral institution. And what is the more neutral institution than a library or a school or a department of justice or a police department or whatever? Whatever is supposed to – the IRS is supposed to impart like impartial justice. Um, They are under incredible amounts of strain, sometimes the media, but that's no no longer really uh, a question of its partiality. But – they're under all this strain, and so people see uh, to take advantage of applying that pressure and say we're just doing, you know, doing a democratic corrective to a, a sort of like anti-democratic inside job at these institutions that have been taken over. Um, and some of that, I, you know, to give credit to Chris Rufo that I don't actually really believe, but just to give voice to the opposite way of thinking of it, like if you think that the institutions have been marched over, and many of them have, and I've mm-hmm. witnessed it. God knows, in in schools in New York um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. on a daily basis, if you believe that they have been marched over and that that's now becoming something like capital WC, woke capital um, in uh, across uh, business and entertainment and elsewhere, you know, you're mad. You want to roll it back in some way. Um, I do get that. And what I would would, uh, 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 encourage people who have that instinct to think about is... Do you want any neutral institutions? No. Um, or do you? Or do you want <laughs> to? Do you want to raise a lot of money bashing the one, the neutral or perceived neutral institutions that um, you think you can rise people up about um, and go against them, and then sort of back your team of politicians that are going to go against that? And do you think that the end result? Of a process like that, a bipartisan, a necessarily bipartisan populist process in which people try to tap in to the democratic fervor of those who want to do something about the bad people who they perceive to be in charge of those cultural institutions. Do you think that's going to work out well for you when you're in the minority? Well, let's give credit. <laughs> I'm going I'm to give a little bit of credit on the way out here that... It's recognizing a thing that is real. It is recognizing a thing that is real in the broader culture that if somebody put a heterodox idea into the New York City school system or a teacher was teaching something that was, you know, nakedly ideological, but from the other direction, from the one that people in Brooklyn don't like, it would be rooted out immediately. There would be meetings about it. There would be that. You know, I I pointed this out, um, I think maybe in a text to you guys, a very similar thing. Uh, the former Mackenzie Bezos, 
who is somebody I have an enormous amount of respect for because I just look. I we've said this a long a long time. You know, you allow people to make lots of money, and you have people that do amazing things with it. And she's given enormous amounts of it away, and that should be celebrated, right? She gives things away to some things that I'm like, huh, okay. I don't know if I'd agree with that because there was some program recently at a UC school and she gave it. It was it was all these very ethnic studies programs, et cetera. And it's like, I don't care. I don't care. They're going to be funded and they exist and she's funding them. Fine. I'm not, I didn't tweet about it. I'm not mad about it. The only reason I bring it up is that if you imagine that Mackenzie Bezos gave one one hundredth of that money that went to this UC school to IHS, the Institute for Humane Studies, a sort of libertarian kind of thing that I think is based out of George Mason, or gave it to, you know, the Mont Pelerin Society or something. Somebody would grab a hold of that and it would be a news story for six days. Right? Mm. If you do it in the right things, no one says a word. If you do it in the things that are wrong, quote unquote wrong, or they, they, it becomes dark money. It becomes dark money. That's when you get a Jane Mayer book. That's when you get a Jane Mayer article. It's like they're not equal ideas. People don't view them as equal ideas. People in certain positions of power don't view them as, as equal ideas. Yeah, the main the mainstream press. The mainstream yeah. press. That's right. Because conservative not... media, conservative media will will talk about what well, Mackenzie's doing for hours and hours and days and weeks and months, and yes. she'll be the worst possible thing, and it's a Marxist yes. takeover, and we're all going to die. Yeah, and I think that's ridiculous. <laughs> I think that's ridiculous. I mean, I mean, I don't like it when people talk about the Koch brothers, George Soros. There's not an ideological Koch tint to it. Brother, brother yeah, yeah, brother. Um, <laughs> I mean, he does have living brothers, but he's not in the game. They're not the bad ones, right? Yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> that, that kind of thing is like, you know, when, when guys like Rufo and, and, you know, people in his universe point these things out, they're not wrong in the broader issue. They're not wrong in the, in, in the, in the sense that, you know, when companies did this well, stuff- the broader analysis. The broader analysis, I, I think say. the issue is probably wrong. It's, the analysis yeah. is probably better. But, but, you know, when you say that companies are doing this, there has to be somebody to push back and be like- yeah, well, you know, in in 2020, when, you know, I, I found an old screenshot on my phone. I was looking for a picture of my daughter, and I found a screenshot from 2020. And it was an MLB.com website thing, and I took a screenshot of the side. And it was like, how to learn about anti-racism resources from the MLB. And it's like, wait, what? It's a base, <laughs> I just want to see Aaron Judge hit a home run. Yeah. All right, whatever. I'll read Imbermax Kenny if you say so. Like, all of this is with a gun to the head, Right. It might not even be, I mean, it's the metaphorical thing, but it's like, it might not even be metaphorically real. They feel that it's real. Yeah. So they have to go and be like, you know, Amazon, like every, you know, five cents that you spend, one cent will go to uh, Patrice Cooler's new house in Brentwood <laughs> or whatever it was. But it's just like every- Studio City, let's be accurate. Like, Come on. Like, on, like all you need to know about the mainstream and, the, and like, and again, this isn't even aligning with my own politics. I'm sympathizing with these people. I'm, I don't have your politics, but I'm sympathizing with you in the way that I know that if there was some kind of outrage that upset people, you know, in on the center right, I'm mean, gonna say the right, the center right, and every corporation rallied to that cause. It'd be annoying. And said, defend, here are a bunch of books by people that are talking about, you know, anti-communism or something. I don't know what it would be. But like, you would think that was odd, but you think it's normal because they've established a kind of normalized, this is the center and we're going to move the Overton window. And I get it when guys like Rufo and people of his 
ilk say this stuff has to be pushed back upon. I just don't like the way they're pushing back. I don't think they're wrong about wanting to, though. You know? I mean, there's a cultural pushback, and then there's using the levers of government power that's to change to me. things. That's yeah. it. I mean, that's fine. Complain's great. But, but that's acknowledging that you've lost, by the way, that we cannot win the culture war on our own. We have to ourselves also use and they're wrong by the way to think that that you know their enemies and let's just say broadly people on the left have won this through government not true not yeah, true it's, it's more cultural than it's that. much more cultural than that i mean it, 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 that's not to say that they haven't used government to their own ends of course they have i mean everyone does everyone tries to but the cultural kind of you know victory and look conservatives have said this for years like we need to make our own hollywood we need to make our own funny stuff. We need to make our own daily show. It's like none of that. That was all separate from government power. So they did this mm -hmm. on their own. And when you can't compete with that, is that all you have left is to say like, well, let's let's use the government that they use. Well, they use that. Of course, everyone does. But the larger victory on that battlefield was way beyond government. And so you have to win battles in a much, much bigger way that they're not prepared to do, you know? Because they have John John Stewart or you know Stephen Colbert. Who... John Stewart has a lot of cultural power at the moment. Like he has a <laughs> well, in the past, no, I'm saying in the past, in twelve the past, people. Yeah, yeah in the past to, he had yeah. like, and, and Stephen Colbert doesn't have much now in the past. <laughs> Dude, Greg Gutfeld is dominating late night that fucking it, television exact, comedy. Exactly it's right. It's exactly yeah. right. And Cat Temp, yeah. I want to point out and shout out to our former guest here. Um, who once ate, I think, uh, like, was it guacamole off her leg with Ben Dreyfus probably, in the studio? Probably mushrooms. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> oh God. Uh, she, like, last night, because she was subbing in for Greg as the main host on the Gutfeld program, went on, like, a 10-minute rant about um, fentanyl scaremongering among Republicans. Good. Mm. Good for her. It's fucking great. Fucking yeah. Great. Like, yeah. That's how you do it. Our That's people, how you win. Our yeah. people in the world, fucking, we'll, yeah. we'll yeah. fucking, we'll fucking do it. I want to point out one thing, Camille, before you usurp me once again. Um, <laughs> this is what you always keep saying. Literally not done that this at second, all tonight. This is the second or third <laughs> yeah. time you've done this. Before you yeah. get uppity yeah. and yeah. Uh -huh. unclean uppity. and wow. un right. unarticulate. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. No, I wanted to mention to you before, by the way, you whatever. were unarticulate uh, when you said that. Coco today said to me, my seven-year-old daughter, as you're walking home, this is also like goes to. The, the how people at the end result of culture mash things up a little bit. Mm. She goes, I think that probably what happened is that Jesus made Martin Luther King an angel um, mm. and then put him in charge of telling the lawyers what to do. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's pretty great. And so- Maybe not wrong, by the way. Well, I said- Possibly true. I said, like, I don't know, man, lawyer's not that great. Um, I just like, like then give him secret messages to tell him how to make laws in, oh, yeah. in, in the world. I'm like, yeah. Yeah, she's mentally ill. That's, That's okay. This. That's all right. Sorry, this treatment. It's worth a breakdown, yeah. but she's ready. She might be trans. Oh, um, God. My, my, we have a listener to this program who's a recent uh, listener. who's a friend of mine and just a really phenomenal guy. And uh, funny as hell. And uh, I told my daughter the name of his dog, his former dog. And the dog, this is how the culture really creeps into my daughter. When you're my daughter, this is what happens to your brain. And uh, the, the, the former dog's name was Liberace. Great dog name. Oh, oh God. Oh, and no. she said, uh, my daughter said uh, that she wanted to see the new dog. She had like, can I hang out? Because she's obsessed with dogs. 
And I said, yeah. And she said, what was the, you know, the, the, the old one is dead. And I said, yeah, well, I don't, I just, they told me this. I don't. And she said, you know, the old one, the, the uh, Mussolini. Oh, no. And I said, no, no. I'm not, I'm not, I swear to God. Big fucking difference. I swear to God. She's like Mussolini. And I was like, I do you, I correct this? No, absolutely. You fucking needle scratch that yeah, shit. Yeah. Liberace, American fucking hero. Yeah. Mussolini. Italian hero. Kind of a shit fascist. Is that what you're going to say? No. I thought you going to say Italian kind hero. Of a, kind of in vogue now. Yeah, kind, kind of in vogue again. now. You go um, to Italy, they have a lot so of good things. So I hear. The Geometric. That was Melania Trump endorsing, I like the Malonis. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, you Should mentioned in my, my proclivity to bring people together. Um, I, I would be um, out of order if I didn't mention uh, coming attractions. So our, our very good friends, uh, Barry Weiss and Ellie Bose, uh, have a new baby. So Barry- Congratulations, is, guys. Uh, I guess they're both on paternity leave. Is that how that works? I don't know they're how that works. They're both on paternity leave is what the real posture <laughs> says. Yeah. I said maternity. Is isn't it, it, great, isn't it great to have friends, you know, you don't, yeah. get, they don't give a shit about stuff like that? <laughs> <laughs> it, it actually really is. Yeah, it really, it is. really is. But, but I've been... Because they um, like funny things. Subbing yeah. in for Barry um, a, a bit on her podcast, or at least I will be. So I hosted a conversation today. I think I, think I can say it. Do it. Well, it's between. I, I won't because I don't know what? If, I, if, what? if I'm allowed. What? I don't is know if I'm coming allowed. Out? When's it coming out? In in like a week or so. But, but, but is, that, it? is it like? Is it like a? I suppose. Uh, yeah, no, I should be able to say it. I mean, it should be fine. All right. Well, yeah, no, it's, it's not alarming. Know. It's it's, David it's Duke like and really. Yeah. No, it's not David yeah. Duke. It's our yeah. it's our friend Laura Bazelong and um, Raphael Louis Farrakhan. Monk. I think it's Monkwell. Uh, who's at MI who wrote uh, Criminal Injustice. Is that the guy who did uh, I Always Feel Like Somebody's Watching Me? No. <laughs> That's Rockwell. Sorry. No. Yeah. And um, his, his book is about, his book is very critical of the of the kind of progressive prosecutor movement and criminal oh, justice reform more broadly. And his, his perspective is very much, look, there's a lot of crime. We got to build more prison. We need more cops to put people in those prisons and people need to stay there longer. And that is how we keep people safe. So how, how did how, was him, it in LB did a good, uh, did a good uh, job the, uh, fending him the, off? Well, no, this is just it. It was a wonderful experience having the two of these people who I, I respect and like personally mm. having a thoughtful conversation about this topic that they have strident disagreement on. Yeah. And by the end, there was, I think like this very nearly like emotional moment where there's like, we care about the same stuff and we want mm. the same things. And we want to help people and we want to make the world better. And it's hard to do that shit if we're not talking mm. to each other. Um, and did he, Laura did he finish with, uh, I always feel like somebody's watching me. Yeah, no, I think they both um, make an effort to, to get out great. and, yeah. and be amongst people with whom they have yeah. some disagreements. And, She's amazing at that. And just coming, I mean, just coming on this podcast twice. Yeah. Yeah. Fraternizing with us. And yeah. then doing this thing with you is that I remember when, after the second one, when we did, that was, um, was that a, I think it was a Substack only one. I don't remember um, that we did at. Substack. I guess that's true. Yeah, it there might was have been. A and um, there were some people there talking wasn't about Substack it. Only though, we we released. Uh, it yeah, live, I think it was a broad release. But we 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 yeah. talked about it. There were some people talking about it on Twitter, and there was a bunch of people, listeners of the show, who popped up and said, "Well, do you know what uh, Laura Bazelon said about this?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I don't give a shit. I just I just don't care <laughs> unless she said like you know." 
some like eugenics or something. I don't really care. It's like she's <laughs> yeah. she just has different views and like, but she's hilarious and um, super smart and wrong about a lot, a lot. Laura, if you're listening, good lord, what is wrong with you? You're like about ninety percent. Jeez, I did that. I ran the fucking tests. Ninety-four percent. The last one I did was ninety-four uh, percent. But she's an absolute joy to talk to, and such a fun. Person. I don't know how people get sharp these days in in you know in conversation right. debate without debating people that are they, they just told, don't get sharp. They just don't. Well, you mean, they don't get sharp. Yeah, you read some tweets earlier that de demonstrated that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you. I mean, it's like, uh, what's her name? Corinne, uh, Corinne Jean Pierre, the press secretary for you the Biden White House. She was She was amazing today. She, I'm, I am convinced. I'm convinced, and today has helped to convince me. And look, all press secretaries <laughs> spit. By which I mean, all of them lie. Of, of course, right? They all get up there. They tell the line. Job. They do what their bosses say. Yep. They carry the filthy, disgusting yep. shit for their bosses. <laughs> That's what they do. She is the very worst at this job. She's not good. It's not that she lies when she does it. She's just so unsophisticated and terrible at it. And it's not funny. It's not interesting. It's just I mean, it's abysmal. And I, I, I always, when I hear her doing her job badly, I always think back to the first day where yeah. she says, you know, I'm here, I'm a queer black woman and I'm the first of my kind to do. No, but are you any good at this job? And the answer to that question is definitively no. Today, Joe Biden um, was, where was he? He doesn't giving know. Giving the speech. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking doesn't know. It always, it always seems that way. Where, where was he? There's, he went to, um, he went somewhere. Look, now I'm Indiana. maybe Joe Biden now. He went to Indiana. He gave a speech. Um, and in the mid middle of this speech, he shouts out a congressperson who recently died in an automobile accident. Yeah. With staffers and who work for her, who like uh, like uh, are subscribers to us and listeners to us. And like yeah, that. yeah, who have told us like very nice things. Very about, nice things. Uh, yeah. Representative uh, Jackie Walorski. Mm -hmm. right? yeah. yeah, yeah. And Joe Biden shouts her out and says, "Where is Jackie? Is Jackie yeah. here? Is she in the room?" Yeah. And you know, maybe he just made a mistake. Or perhaps he had a, well, he did, a very senior <laughs> moment. It's actually, it's actually not maybe. Not maybe. It's definitely. <laughs> it's maybe. It's well, he definitely made a mistake. Yeah. The only question is whether or not he actually knows what planet he's on and, and was aware that she's dead and or is unaware that she's dead, despite the fact that he should have known there, that she's dead. There's, there's, there's no defense. Know. There's no it's defense. unclear. He's, uh, but, he's lost But his it. press secretary goes out and defends <laughs> him amazing. afterwards. And her defense of him is not that he made a mistake. But explicitly that he, well, he had her on his mind. Yeah. Top moment, of his mind. That's I think why she said, he yeah, said that at the mind. top of his mind. Yeah. Um, and it's just. Top of his Just be mind. honest. Yeah. <laughs> at least a yeah. little bit. Yeah. Or find a more credible lie. And it's routinely the case that she is confronted with things that she must know are coming. And it seems as though she's completely unprepared. I, I want to give a completely unprepared. I want to give a bit of credit to the New York Times. We give a lot of shit to the New York Times, and there are a lot of conservatives that are like, "Oh, you know, they're papering over Biden's gaffes," and you know th that happens less and less now, and because it's it's difficult. But you can ignore it or ignore. put it in yeah. like you know, graph nine in an article of ten paragraphs. But the New York Times today has a story, a standalone story, and the headline is, "Where's Jackie?" Biden asks if deceased lawmaker is at White House event. So the New York Times coming and Biden, well, the subhead is a little 
soft for me. So it's, it was going great. Like they did their own story about this. They actually are acknowledging that there's something um, a bit off here. And the subhead is President Biden apparently forgot that Representative Jackie Walorski, Republican of, of Indiana, has died, uh, had died in August. No, no, no. Apparently forgot. Well, so that that's giving them wiggle room in, in case he never knew. There's, I mean, <laughs> I mean, come on now. He might have spoken at a funeral, whatever, but like he might not have ever known. I, I mean, think of this. Yeah. Here's a comparison. Joe Biden, Democratic president, 2020 to 2023. <laughs> I don't think he's going to make it the whole way. He's just saying he's going to. 21, actually. He, Michael, well, you know, you know, in. you know how we do. Yeah. 21 to 25. This is a man whose grasp of what's going on around him, it has been taboo to talk about the fact that the leader of the free world frequently doesn't know where he is or doesn't appear to know where he is or what is going on and is being guided off of, you know, uh, the dais to, you know, go, no, go to the right, come, no, no, there's a step there. It's like, okay, I don't think that now that that is just somebody, you know, they're trying to make sure he doesn't fall, which he falls off a bike that isn't even moving as far as I can tell, it wasn't <laughs> moving. The difference between that and then a young spry, agile, smart, funny, perverted, interesting Bill Clinton, who if you met him three days before, he would remember you four days later if you walked by and say, hey, how's, how's it going, man? To be clear, this is 90s Bill Clinton. 90s about. Bill Clinton. Yeah. I mean, the argument being, can we have a president that's the age of Bill Clinton in the 90s rather than somebody <laughs> who's 79 right now who or acts like there's 89? Barack yeah. Obama, right? Like, or Barack Obama. I, mean, I saw a picture of Barack and uh, Michelle, like uh, Pete Souza, the uh, White House photographer from then, is always like trying to recycle those photos. And there's a picture of Michelle, I think, at the time. And I don't care about Michelle Obama one, one way or the other. Um, and like, I was looking at her because I'm now old. And I was like, wow, she's hot. Who? Super. Michelle Obama. Like really? in, in the, the Obama administration era, um, like, because you don't imagine that someone in the White House would be sort of youthful and interesting. I don't to look know if at. you ever met Melania Trump. No, I wasn't comparing. I am hot pants. We are like we are ten feet away yeah, yeah, from geez. some seriously hot Melania art. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, like all Mel of the people. Melania's hot. Sorry, all it's true is and will be. Um, yeah. uh, all of the people who like what was the what's the amendment? Was it the twenty sixth amendment? That was the one that people were fantasizing about during Trump. Like Trump has lost his. His, yeah, yeah, yeah. His, yeah, his yeah, faculties. Yeah. Um, you can tell because- I thought that was the one about the hot first lady. The 26th <laughs> Amendment. <laughs> you must have. Exercise the hot first lady mechanism. Interact with the attractive Yeah, yeah. Do, do you know the text lady. of that? A man okay. who was like, you're president, motherfucker. Have a hot first lady. Leader <laughs> of the free world. What the fuck is wrong with no, you? No, just eject the old fucking <laughs> Fucking Mary Todd golfing. Lincoln. What are you doing? Like, get her out of there. <laughs> No, all the people who like really wanted to like get Trump out because he his mental faculties had had left him somehow. I mean, they left him when he was thirty five years old. Yeah. I mean, he's down ten percent. Yeah, he's peak. definitely down ten percent from peak. But Biden, but the peak was low. Yeah, uh, but the, but also like uh, uh, yeah, you well, know, Trump see, is a an insult comic. He's yeah. like this person who does this thing. Yeah, um, and you can see like tape from him from twenty five years ago. There is a difference, hundred percent, but. 
that's a, a difference that people used back then, like to show a comparison. Right now, it's like if if Biden does, and he does the same, like was congratulating the Atlanta Braves for winning the World Series last year. He's like, and you, you the Braves, and then you won, the, you beat the Braves. Yeah, he's like you didn't beat the Braves. Yeah, he, yeah. Like, like when you're competing. He was so racist that he said Braves twice. <laughs> <laughs> like, I want to know how many of those people have like gone in and said 26th Amendment, Joe Biden, when he's so obviously less cognitively with us than the, the only thing Donald you have Trump to know really about was. how boring our mainstream culture was, is and i was just talking about this of the kind of uniform ideas and the unanimity of opinion is that these ridiculous gaffes that are a result of age let's just say that they're a result of age i don't believe that he's you know stumbling on his cue cards or anything they are never ever joked about on late night never Never. I mean, like, there is an endless amount of material that's being left on the table here by, you know, Jimmy Kimmel and, you know, what's his name um, that does, uh, used to do the show? Uh, on, I forget because uh, I'm getting no, old. I'm, 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 I'm doing a Biden impression. <laughs> right you know, the one, uh, Col Jackie, Col Col Colbert. Uh, Jackie Colbert. Colbert. Johnny yeah. Colbert. Yeah. Um, Stephen Colbert, like, is literally just running for office at this point. I mean, he's just... It's just a political show. It's unbelievably tedious and boring. And it's like, I don't like political shows that are hosted by people who actually know what they're talking about and are actually professionals in this. And, you know, why are you not ever making a joke about the fact that the president is saying, I'm not this one, you, the, the, the Jackie Walorska thing, you don't joke about that. It's just, it's just in poor taste because... You know, it's a traumatic, horrible thing. He's talking about somebody who died as she's still there. But, like, there's a million of these every month. Dude, if that was How fucking, not... if that was Trump or yeah. W. Bush oh or God, especially Ronald endless. Reagan, yeah. we would be fucking joking about it. Yeah, Come of on. Course. Of Come course. on. Yeah. But it, it's she's amazing. a congresswoman who died. It's all you need Where to know. All you need to know about the kind of dominant culture and why people are alienated from it and watch fucking Newsmax. And why Chris Rufo is right. That's what I'm hearing from you. <laughs> Who's Chris Rufo? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I'm not familiar with him. Is he, a, is he a musician of some sort? Did he do a song with Glorilla? <laughs> he plays one of those five-string <laughs> basses. Good. He's in Toby Sprocket. That's how you win the culture. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Be do it for the culture. Do it for the fact. culture. Yeah. Um... Anything else? Uh, there are probably other things we could do, but we've been going for a little while. We should wow, probably wrap yeah. it up pretty soon. Uh oh, I feel um, a and we started comes. And we started late as well. Lightning round. Why did we start um, late, Camille? Well, actually, it's my fault. Um, because I was reading. Well, oh, you guys were having That's actually issues, not true so because we issues. were actually watching the Yankee game. Oh, yeah. Y'all were watching. So that's what it was. You were watching yeah, baseball yeah, is yeah, why yeah. we started. Like, yeah, okay. yeah, we're like, yeah, oh, go ahead, Camille. Go ahead, read that yeah. <laughs> 75,000 word if Aaron, article. If Aaron Judge Wait, hit his 24th home run, we'd be like, what the fuck is Camille? He's late. <laughs> <laughs> is this the playoffs? Is that what's going no, on? Nah, it's, but Because it's, it's almost October, and I know you can't script October. That's what I've heard. Yeah. Look at him, yeah. look at him trying is, to be nice. He's like a wife right now. He's like... Did they, Aaron, did they do Judge the home run? <laughs> hit, uh, hit his 61st home run uh, tonight, tying Roger Maris for the American League record. And in my mind, mm. the Major League Baseball record uh, for people who mm. didn't take tons of drugs. So 
thankfully Michael's fucking puritanical mind doesn't rule the so, day. Yeah. <laughs> Matt, if Matt was, you'd just want them to have aluminum bats and fucking steroids, <laughs> smoking pipes of steroids. I just want like yeah. Bill Murray powdered donuts underneath their noses yeah, at all yeah, times. Just, yeah. yeah, like fucking Doc I, I, I like that too. I mean, I would probably watch baseball if that was more, if it was more like that. Do you remember like the SNL drugs, sketch, the all drug, drug Olympics? Baseball game. Yeah, absolutely. It's hilarious when he pulls his arms off. <laughs> but oh 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 shit we cannot go what without oh, what the major French major goodbye, French new, no 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 this is a small one because i don't have a lot to say about it and you don't know belgium this is this is literally a Liechtenstein goodbye <laughs> it's a very short contained goodbye um you know well we, we we didn't talk about our friends in florida but we'll see the damage a little bit but we don't we know we didn't talk about coolio did we coolio. that's where i was going coolio oh, there we go coolio yeah Fantastic Coolio. voyage to the beyond from, yeah. from Coolio, who died today. Do you know how he died, Camille? No, I have no idea. How did he die? I don't know. The same guy who shot Pop Smoke, I guess. That's my He my didn't thing. get shot. I mean, Pop Smoke shot Sean. <laughs> Coolio, <laughs> my man on fucking Instagram Coolio. showing his fucking I don't know, think that's what happened. I, yeah, I don't think so. And either. I also don't know that he had any sort of Pop Smoke money. Actually, I have no idea what coolio situation was i was surprised to see a photo of coolio who's 59 years old um and had no hair on his head except for these two large Braids. braid yeah. things um which he's is very strange it's very strange look yeah very strange look matrix three shit yeah <laughs> um you know what's funny i i had forgotten that he made that um fantastic voyage yeah. song um yeah. that and gangster's paradise so those gangster's were paradise was the was the big yeah, I, I yeah. always hated that song. I did yeah, not, not like it. I didn't like any of that stuff. What, I mean, I'm like, sad that he's dead when, in the way that I'm sad when anybody dies, but I've never liked his w- music. When you say any of that stuff, you mean like... His music. Okay, his but it, it, him specifically, or there was a genre of hip-hop at the time that was like very weirdly mainstream, that became very weirdly yeah. mainstream, then disappeared, and that would be people like Young MC... Do you remember uh, Buster sure. Move? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, maybe yeah. a little bit of Tone Loke. Uh, those would be guys that would Tone be Loke like on great. celebrity rehab and stuff later, which I think Coolio was on. Tone Loke was always fucking sampling Van Halen. That's all. I could yeah. Do. yeah. Oh, that's because he did. Yeah, he did, <laughs> did wild. Yeah, I, I, it's weird. I wouldn't. I don't know that I would put Young MC or Tone Loke in the same um, in the same lane as like a Coolio. But I, I get what you. I get what you mean, and I understand why you would do that. But he never um, had any records that were, you know, I mean. I take it as the thick sample. Like Gangster's Paradise is just like Pastime Paradise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That he fucking mm-hmm. stole. Yeah, the whole, yeah, um, yeah. Which is similar to Ice Ice Baby. It's similar yeah. to a couple of uh, the the every breath you take shit. That... You should go and find, as everyone knows this clip, I think everyone knows this clip, of uh, Robert Van Winkle, uh, otherwise known as Vanilla Ice, on uh, I think MTV, it might have been our friend Kurt Loder interviewing him when he's talking about how he did not rip off David Bowie in Queens Under Pressure. Have you not seen this clip? Oh yeah, the Vanilla Ice. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah. And he's yeah. like, yeah. mine goes dun 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 dun. dun. Yes. It's, like, it's like what? That's <laughs> not real. You just made that shit no. up. What are you talking about? He's like, no, no, no. And there it goes dun 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 dun. Like my, it's different. <laughs> it's no. the best. I want. I was like flipping houses in Florida. I want to warn you both, since you're both girl dads, and my oldest is older than yours, and I know that you look at her trajectory with 
certain amount of horror. She is <laughs> at, at the moment that we <laughs> my, speak. My daughter literally is in Afghanistan now. Yeah. At a, at a, at a quote unquote girl school. We all close. <laughs> she came down the other day. It's like, oh, oh, I want to uh, have Alexa play a song. And it was uh, Ice Ice Baby. It, 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 wasn't, it wasn't under pressure when I tried to do like, oh, and by the way, this it derives from a song that's pretty like fucking racist. pretty fucking good, <laughs> uh, although it's like this weird anti-homeless song that people yeah yeah, like yeah. no one ever thinks yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. Is like, it anti-homeless? It is. It's a song like trying to raise awareness about homelessness. Like no oh, one gives. Oh, I thought you meant like like getting rid of the homeless, like Maybe. turning them well, into soiled green or that, something. Yeah, that Possibly. Been, that would have been Bowie like what <laughs> yeah. two years before. Yeah, the fascist period. Yeah, yeah this thin white dude period was like get rid of the homeless. Time to sweep yeah. the streets. Yeah. Get rid of the dregs of society. <laughs> she wasn't interested. She wasn't. What? Why the fuck did she? Why was she interested in Vanilla Ice? TikTok probably. Oh, for. Oh God! Everything that bad is yeah. That makes sense. Burn the phones, you people. Just yeah. burn them. Yeah. Burn them. Don't, yeah. don't let them happen. I don't. I can't believe there's not enough more articles out there that the kids are like getting into like fascism or something through TikTok. They, they blame everything <laughs> don't else on give it. like, Taylor any ideas. Who? Uh, the the guy from Duran Duran. Yes. Which one? Yeah. Well, there's just two or three. Of them. John Taylor. There's like Steve Taylor. Roger. Richard, Rick Taylor. Frank. Yeah. yeah. James, oh, you mean James Taylor? James the best Taylor. Taylor of yeah. all. You mean Taylor Laurent? <laughs> what's she doing is she still at washington post i don't don't i, I don't want to firing up a, uh, firing don't up a pen right now get ben dreyfus mad at us and, if, yeah, and we don't want to and we yeah that's a last true. a last yeah. point for he forgives those of pretty you, quickly for those of you who don't <laughs> subscribe to uh us you're wrong uh like like money uh giving uh, subscriptions um but the last two times that we have done our second sunday uh live cast with people live um, ben Drivers has oddly showed up, and in, yeah. I mean that in every sense of yes. the phrase, oddly yes. showed up. Yeah. And if you want to get uh, your money's worth, the last one I'm going to quote is from memory. So I'm quoting Ben Dreyfus at the middle of a broadcast that we were doing, which you popped onto. Because we were doing it live on Twitch. If you do that, you come, we do these live streams too. And he was like, I, I don't know. I don't know if I've ever told anybody about the story about my dad and Jaws. And I'm like, I don't know. And Matt was like, maybe you shouldn't tell us. I was like, motherfucker, stop. Of course you should tell it. You're a journalist or you're a snitch. Stop snitching. And then, then he told stories about, um, I think he told stories about Bill Murray because his father had a very big uh, Bill Murray, the points Bill, yeah. on Jaws, the Yes, Spielberg. the points of the Spielberg ripping him off. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Not been mentioned in the, but you can find out about it in the fifth column only. So if yeah. you're writing a biography of Steven Spielberg, you have to subscribe at least for one month yep. to uh, to get that amazing material. So yeah, and go sign up for uh, Ben's um, Ben Substack, which I believe is called Good Faith, if I'm not mistaken. No, or no. I mean is his dad's wrong? Richard Dreyfuss. Calm, right? calm, calm down. down. Now. He's fine. Well, I don't know don't why I said that. Well, calm sign down. Sign up for the free yeah. one. He rebranded, and now he's like calm answering. down, calm down. <laughs> he's calm literally down answering the. Uh, the uh, the advice column questions at other publications. That's amazing. <laughs> oh, that's a great <laughs> idea. It's a great idea. Is that what he's doing? Yeah. The, the, the oh guy's a genius. He's, he's a so superb genius. I love him. I love him oh, so man. much. He's such a great guy and so out of his mind. Yeah. I mean, and you know what I'm realizing? I'm not subscribed, so I'm subscribing right now to Ben Dreyfus's. Um, to Ben Dreyfus's. I'm after paying him the money. After You're paying the money? I'm paying the money. All right. Can you share your login? <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. I'll no give you my Hulu cheapskate. for Ben no. for Ben Dreyfus's 
fucking no, rant? Absolutely not. <laughs> Just signed up. Paying the money to. I want to point out. Right. We're going to go. I'm going to point out one thing before we go. Uh-oh. Yeah. It's been a very long time, probably pre-pandemic, um, because we're, we have not been together a lot uh, in the post-pandemic time. Sexually. But, uh, <laughs> presuming a lot there, but um, I will say that we used to get very, very, very drunk during our shows, and that was a kind of an early uh, brand thing of ours, not on purpose, but we just did... And I just want to say I brought it back tonight because I have had about 40 ounces of tequila and I don't feel good. And I got to get on the subway and I'm going to get murdered. Yeah. The funniest thing is that um, there was a story. This is how fucking awesome New York City government is. And this is why New York City is the place that should mysteriously, this is why the Libertarian Party is so terrible, is that this is a city should turn everybody into Libertarian and it just doesn't like move the needle at all, is that they were like, you know what? There's so much shit happening in these subway cars. We're putting two cameras in both, subway, in both ends of the subway car, in every co- subway car by 2025. <laughs> and I was like, wait, what? <laughs> Literally, you can build a fucking tower down the street in like a, in a year. In like 2025? Yeah. It's like, yeah, we got 6,000 train cars. It's like, yeah, just hire a bunch of people. It's like, yeah. Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, but we're broke. It's like, well, stop paying the fucking train drivers $300,000 a year. You saw the fucking Don't they still there. have like two train drivers in the train, despite the fact that they only need one to operate the train? Oh yeah, it's if one. They I mean, the unionization. Get, like, hijacked. The, yeah. They have to put. It, I mean, everybody has to put, like, I mean, they don't need anybody in the train. The they can. <laughs> they could probably operate them all remotely. Of course at they this could. Point. Like the person is just there could. for redundancy's sake. It's yes. ridiculous. Yeah, they're like, how's that guy? Gonna make like you know half a million dollars a year in Staten Island if he's not sitting on the train looking out the window as people get murdered on the platform. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, maybe I'll call true. this in. He's like, oh, the other the guy you. who's supposed yeah. to call it in, my fucking union rep, he's not here. I can't call him the murder. That's what happens, <laughs> motherfuckers. Fucking cameras by two thousand twenty-five. Oh, Go to the Swedish subway, commie socialist Sweden. Works amazing, partially privatized, clean, everything works. They've had cell phone coverage in there when I moved there in 2002. In, in like, in nice. the, We've got it this year, and everyone's like, I don't know, that might not be good. I'm like, yeah, I think it's not as bad as the fucking stabbing that happens in the cars. I'm not worried that someone's going to be on the phone. This is like the least of my problems. You ever been, like, people have like fucking, you, like, uh, the Bluetooth speakers where they're playing Gangster's Paradise <laughs> or Pop oh, Smoke, yeah, like, yeah. the whole ride. I'm like... I look in the paper, people are like, uh, it's going to be bags. People are going to be talking on the phone. It's not the problem in the subway, guys. No, it's the murder in the rap. I like that. At in the, the showtime. It's no longer the French goodbye. It's the Andy Rooney goodbye. Oh, my God. <laughs> it, the problem with me, Andy Rooney is too young. You had a young man's perspective. You got to get angrier. <laughs> Fucking piece of garbage, everyone. They're all terrible. All right. All right. Yeah. Fuck all y'all. All right. Bye. 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 We know of new methods of attack. The Trojan Horse.